0: There was an average Joe who made a humble living by simply moving dirt. Meet Evan Marriott. Income $19,000 a year. What will happen when this average Joe is transformed into a multi-millionaire?
1: Thank you. So does the red wine go in there?
0: He will be taught the ways of the wealthy. You
1: are ready for the lesson? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay.
0: Now, Evan will invite 20 beautiful women to a chateau in France ...who believe he has just inherited over 50 million dollars.
2: Oh my God! Awesome. This is a
0: fairy tale. Oh my God! Oh wow! If your man has 50 million, I'm, that's fabulous. The man of my dreams is honest.
2: There he is! How
0: are you doing? He's so handsome! <laughs> he will lavish them with riches in order to find the woman who will love him for who he really is. I've never dated somebody that made a lot of money. Oh, it's amazing. I'm like really happy. Yeah, I'm happy. Oh my
2: God.
0: See it over there? This is so amazing. We're living in a fairy tale. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Like, we'll have a fairy tale ending or won't it?
1: I try not to think about having to explain the whole story behind the fifty million dollars because the more you think about it, I'll slip up.
0: Oh, he's mine. Take a vitamin, get over it. I have never seen grown, independent, self-sufficient women act like such brats. I'm a competitive person. (laughs) This whole thing or anything. course. Um, waist deep in it now i can't i can't go back what would the perfect guy's personality be for you? you have to tell me the truth all the time no matter how much it hurts the more time i spend with myself by myself the more i realize i've never lied
1: about anything to get a girl in bed i'll tell you anything you want to know about me yeah Yeah. trust me
0: uh, i trust your character i feel comfortable you yeah. don't have to convince me It's romantic and so beautiful. Now, I'm living the biggest lie in front
1: of America, and I think it's just the most ironic thing in the world.
2: A lot of the other girls are very aggressive. I'll make this easy.
1: This is about all of America seeing 20 girls misled into thinking some guy's a millionaire and jet-setting them all over the world. And the more I think about it, the more it eats my brain out because I really like this girl.
2: It's
0: something that every girl has dreamed about all their life. And I've came so far to make my dream come true. But once this average Joe has made his choice, he will have to confess the truth. What I'm gonna say right now might come as a shock. Will love or money prevail? This is the story of Joe Millionaire.
2: Hello
3: and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is our feature episode, a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. I'm your host, JP John Paz, and on today's show, a part of this feature interview series is a VH1 reality superstar of the decade, the star of Joe Millionaire, and he's an actor, a TV star, a reality TV star, and you'll learn on this episode today a professional wrestler as well he's of course Evan Marriott strap in for an awesome episode one of my favorites this interview is just an epic if you remember our epic series they were tend to be a little bit longer which are my favorites and this in particular had so many great stories one after another you want some stories on Diamond Dallas Page you got it you want some stories on Steve Austin you got it Undertaker got it a few really good gems, a few really awesome stories on the nature boy, Ric Flair, as well. And, of course, we do go into Joe Millionaire, the series, kind of what he's doing today, his training in UPW. We talk about Rick Bassman. We talk about Tom Howard. We talk about Samoa Joe. We talk about Sean O'Hare. and really really good detail as well so i mean strap in i don't want to take too long on the intro because it is such a great episode and it is longer in length so i think you're really going to enjoy this one definitely up there it's one of my favorites there's just so many good stories in there you know just to delve into there's just so much good stuff there's just so much meat on the bone so to speak so sit back relax and enjoy but before I send it off to the interview just want to also mention a part of the two man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire is Rick Bassman's Talking Tough and Three Way Dance as well as Dirty Dutch Mantel's University of Dutch then of course Shane Douglas's Triple Threat podcast Over on the Russo brand. By the way, Dirty Dutch is on MLW Radio. Also, Dr. Tom, taking you to school, Dr. Tom Pritchard is available on the two man power trip of wrestling's podcasting feed. Now, without any further ado, I pass it back along to the reality star, the former reality superstar of the decade, actor, TV star, reality giant. He is now a current contractor, like he was before Joe Millionaire as well. He is, of course, Evan Marriott. Joining us on the line right now is a former VH1 reality superstar of the decade. He was the star of Joe Millionaire. He's an actor, TV star, reality TV star, and was once a pro wrestler. He is none other than Evan Marriott. Evan, welcome to the two man power trip of wrestling. Well, thanks for having me, John. No problem. Now, you know, with you, I think you're so famous from Joe Millionaire and everything else, but what kind of, uh, what have you been up to lately? What, what do you got going on?
1: I'm a uh, contractor in Orange County, California. So I kinda kinda went back to my roots and
3: uh everything's going
1: okay, Everybody's about as well as it's gonna go right now.
3: <laughs> With the uh pandemic and you know, COVID and all this other nonsense, has that affected business at all? Um well, it's
1: as I coughed. Yeah, I've got the I've got the Rona John. No, um
3: no, I it's funny
1: <laughs> because we we kind of put on notice back in March that you know, hey things are gonna start slowing down and people are kind of you know pulling pulling back on the purse purse string so to speak and it hasn't been that bad i mean it's we've been we've been chugging along okay, and I think that's because uh interest rates are so low so I, a lot of builders and contractors are taking out loans and and so you know it's uh i haven't
3: it hasn't been that bad I've been really fortunate. Yeah, you know, I, one of my main vendors that I deal with for, for my work, my quote-unquote shoot job, is Lowe's, and they're, like, killing it. So we have no issues with, you know, contractors yeah. or anything like that. It's been crazy. Like, Lowe's has been, like, killing their numbers and everything. So we haven't had any problems either.
1: Well, and, you know, the, the funny thing about that is that they've, they've said that there has been, if I was listening to this on the news today, as a matter of fact, that they had said there was an uptick because of even homeowners that are doing more gardening now and doing home repairs while they're at home. They got nothing else better to do. So they're going and, you know, redoing the deck. They're, re,
3: you know, they're planting a garden there. So there's a lot of, I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, I, I would believe that. Yeah, I think Lowe's said if they, they closed right now and weren't open for the rest of the year, they would still be profitable for the year. So think like, that yeah. tells you how good that they're doing right now. Like, <clears throat> that crazy? Isn't that amazing? Isn't yeah. that amazing? Yeah. And they're making so. uh Money hand over fist. They probably aren't doing social distancing or anything like that, but I'm sure they're you know making a lot of money. Yeah, no, it's well, you know, I don't know. I, 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 you go in
1: there and you see, uh, yeah, there's you see the little stickers on the ground six feet away, and the, mm-hmm. you know, and I always throw my mask on when I go in there. So you know, it's, I think you know I think they're trying. <laughs> yes.
3: So so as far as you said, you know, you got back. To the contracting world, is that where they discovered you for Joe Millionaire? They basically saw, you know, you were a contractor, whatever you're doing. Like, how, how did that whole process start? Because you technically were a contractor, right, back before yeah, you started well, Joe
1: Millionaire? Yeah, I was. Well, yes, yeah, I'm a construction company down in Orange County, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it and they got, and I wasn't, you know, the big thing is. People, you'll see if if something pops up, which is very rare nowadays. But if something pops up, somebody will, you know, almost always say, "Oh yeah, he only made nineteen grand." Well, now that was they they made me a little a little poorer for the show uh, to <laughs> make it more. You know, I, I wasn't making nineteen thousand a year. Uh, I was probably up in the fifty thousand, sixty thousand range. Uh, but that's not good TV, right? So, um, so that, I always chuckle when I see somebody say that, and I, you know, but. um yeah, I just it was a fluke thing. I was sitting at home uh and uh I just uh was invited to uh, a Christmas party and uh there were some producers for the show at the Christmas party, but this was a year ahead. Um but they hadn't they hadn't started working on the show yet and uh uh so a year later, uh, oddly enough, you know, they were so desperate to find someone, they asked my buddy, they said, Hey, uh they're like that guy that was at the Christmas party, you know. Eight months ago What about that guy And that's basically how it started And um, he gave him my number Actually called me And said Did, you know This guy Matt's going to call you uh, You know uh, From Fox And this person's going to call you And and, uh, and uh, this is what they want to do I said okay Well we'll see what they have to say So And that's how it started I mean it was a fluke thing It was just somebody that I met Out at a Christmas party Isn't that, isn't that odd?
3: That is very very weird yeah. And you kind of you know, like, did you ever like say like I don't even remember that. Like, what like what are you talking like You know what I mean? Do you ever have like one of those moments where, like, what I come from? I don't even barely remember that. Um. Well, as far as how it started, yeah, like them like knowing you from the Christmas party it was almost like uh, like a crazy like oh, recall. Like yeah, yeah. Like, how the hell do you guys remember a year ago? I can barely remember a year ago. Yeah. Well, it was it was funny because
1: uh, everybody up at that Christmas party was in the industry. I was not in the industry. Um, and I wasn't aspiring to be in the industry. I, you know, I I had done some commercials uh, just because somebody had said that I should when I first moved out here. And um, I, I was I was in that industry for about a cup of coffee. And <clears throat> and uh, and so yeah. So it was just so. Am I am I shocked that it, if it had been a, a room full of accountants and one of the people had been a producer for a TV show or producer for a network, I would have been shocked but I was surrounded by everybody. Everybody was either a mm-hmm. producer or a production assistant or they a director, everybody that was at this Christmas party. And they weren't even, this wasn't some high dollar, highfalutin. I mean, the, you know, the, Jerry Bruckheimer wasn't there. Well, God rest his soul. Uh, he, you know, th- th- there wasn't that kind of party. You know what I'm saying? It was just mm-hmm. the working, the wor- if you can call them the working class of, of TV, uh, of the TV world in, in LA. And, and it was just, you know, and they just remembered, yeah, I mean it is kind of funny that they, you know, eight months later they. I mean, it wasn't, well, it was eight later that they were going to produce the show, but it's funny that they remembered me eight months later
3: from that party. Yes, you're right. Yeah that, is, yeah, that is. I don't crazy. know if that's good or bad. You know. No, that's that's good. It's like you had a lasting effect on them that they're like we got to use this guy for something. So when they came up to you and they pitched you like that idea for Joe Millionaire, are you kind of like reluctant at first because you're technically going to be lying to you know all these girls? Um,
1: I didn't really know. So <clears throat> what they did was, it was, I, I was, I was pitched the show as if it was going to be something similar to like, like a, a blind date or something like that. They they didn't get real specific as to what kind of show it would be. And I didn't watch reality television and reality television, if you remember was pretty new. I mean, they had had some big brothers that had been out. They had had a series or a season, I should say, a season or two of Survivor, I mm-hmm. believe. But I mean, John, I was—I mean, I was lucky to have TV in my apartment. I mean, I just—you know—I I didn't watch much TV. And and to tell you the truth, if I watched it, I would watch WCW. I'd watch, I'd watch Nitro. Um Thanks. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I was a Nitro guy. I wasn't a Raw guy. But uh, but I would watch—you know—Monday nights I'd watch Nitro, and then Thursday nights I'd watch Thunder. And that's about the extent of the TV that I that I watched back then. So I wasn't real familiar with reality television to begin with. And like I said, reality television was so new that, I mean, it wasn't, it didn't, hadn't really made the explosion that, uh, that it would, that it would make, you know, uh, I guess, I mean, after my show. So, um, which I'm still amazed about. I can't believe that, that it, that my show would, would, would create such a spark, but um, yeah. So it, it, so I didn't really know what I was getting into. I didn't, I didn't, I, I yeah. It was it was kind of they didn't they kept calling me up, John. They would uh they would have a meeting with me. And the, the meetings are I can't remember what was exactly said. And I would drive home. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to California, but Orange County, especially in rush hour traffic is not you know, especially South Orange County. It's it's a, it's a good hour and a half maybe if you're lucky to downtown LA or to North Hollywood. So, uh so every time they would ask me to come back up for another meeting, I would just get more angry and more angry and more angry because I just hmm. was like, God, oh, you know, if you're going to use me for the show, let's do it. If you're not, leave me alone. Cause it's really hit me in the pocket gas wise, you know? Yep. So I mentioned that. that to them. Well, yeah. So I mentioned that to them at a meeting. Um, I basically, we were all sitting around a, a like a boardroom table. And it must've been 15 of us, 14 of them and me, I guess. And, um, uh, I just said, guys, I don't I don't think I'm... Because what they were doing, too, is they were calling... You know, I had to go through this barrage of tests, psychological tests. Uh, I had to take a physical. They had to make sure I didn't have any... That's a funny story. I had to, they had to make sure I, I didn't have any STDs or anything. <laughs> and, well, it's funny because uh, in one of the producer's offices, there were a stack of tapes, because this was still back when they were doing stuff on VHS and shit like that, if you can believe that. Mm-hmm. And, uh... I said, what's that? And he goes, oh, those are all the guys that had criminal records, and those are all the guys
3: that had STDs. And I'm
4: like, oh. These were two stacks. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, That's
3: uh, great. That is great. I like how that's how they're gonna, you know, categorical, you know, pride yeah. the guy and basically say, yeah, this guy's not going here. He's an STD guy. This guy, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, no,
3: we kind of. I mean, he could have been totally messing with me,
1: but you know, I I was so naive back then. I just believed it. And so we were. So what had happened was we were we were at the, in in the boardroom, and when I kind of you know said, look, guys, I'm, I'm I can't keep coming up here if you're gonna just keep jerking me around. And they were, I'd given them a couple of numbers from girls that I needed, and they were calling them harassing them and 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 like in in one of my exes and i get along pretty much with girls that i dated around that time and and uh and and one particular girl who actually who rick knows um they called her and she repeatedly and she called me and she was really upset she goes well I tell these people to quit calling me and they keep thinking they're gonna get more information about you and it's i keep telling them there's nothing else to tell you about the guy and so um yeah so i just said you know i'm not i'm not the guy for the show and their standards and practices person for the production company said, hey, Evan, walk with me out in the hallway real quick. I said, sure. And I can't even recall his name, but he had a contract in his hand. And I didn't know that it was a contract. But he said, hey, you know what, Just I understand you're frustrated, but <clears throat> this is what we're going to pay you. And he flipped a couple of pages and pointed to this, and it was $50,000. He goes, so can you just Kind of bear with us because this is what we're going to comp you. You know, comp- this is how we're going to compensate you for all this. I said, okay. I've never seen fifty thousand dollars, you know, before. I uh, I said, okay. I'd made I'd made it in a year, but I'd never made it for just doing some TV show, and I didn't know anything about it. So I said, okay, I'll pipe down and I'll go with your program. So then, when they picked me, I don't know if I'm going on and on here, but when they picked me, that's when they told me the premise of the show. They called me back up. And I did it with a smile on my face this time. Mm-hmm. And they took me to a penthouse suite up in uh, near Universal, right there in North Hollywood. Um, Hilton? No. Makes no difference. But they took me into a, a penthouse suite up there, and they sat me down on the couch there and said, here's what's going on, and you have to sign this, that you can't disclose this to anybody. And I said, Okay. Fifty thousand dollars, I won't tell us all. And literally two days later I was swept off to, to France. I didn't have a chance to really talk to anybody. That's a <laughs> pretty good payday though. Fifty thousand is pretty good. Well they didn't give it to me. I ended up getting a half million. Really? Can you believe can you believe that, John? They didn't give me the fifty thousand. They gave me some some half million bullshit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. How does how does that happen? How does they how do they give you more than what was originally contracted? So, we,
1: we got through the show, and that was kind of the catch at the end. Is that, you know, they they surprised uh, myself and and the girl that I picked uh, at the end, saying that you know, if, if they didn't tell her that they were going to do this, but they said if she rejected, you know, uh, if she rejected, your I think I was them
3: uh, I was giving them, I wasn't giving them roses, I was giving them jewelry. Yeah, the necklaces, yeah. Yeah, necklaces and stuff like that. So and nope rings and shit like that.
1: And uh, they said if she had rejected it and said that she didn't, you know, want to be with you, you would have gotten the whole million. And if she, and they told her that, they said, if you, would, you wouldn't have gotten anything but the fact that you went along with the program and, you know, he picked you and you, you know, accepted, you know, she got half the half the. It's kind of like divorce, John. It's kind of,
4: mm.
1: you know, unlike divorce, I was kind of hoping that she would just kind of go away,
4: right? You know, yeah. I'd get
1: the whole mill, but
3: yeah, whatever. Yep. So yep. That was that. You know that show though, huge, huge ratings. I mean, it was just like insane. I think it was thirty-five million for the finale, something like that. I mean, it was it was nuts. It, you know how popular <clears> the show was. It was.
1: It was. Uh, it was. Yeah. It, you know what? depending on who you talk to, some people say it was just a hair over 40. Some people have it down around 35 million, but, but however you slice it, it was a lot of viewers. By yeah.
3: Yeah. that at all. Say again. Shocked at that at all. I mean, that's an insane number.
1: Um. Again, um. I wasn't real. I wasn't real kind of rating savvy, John. So, when they said 35 million people were watching, I thought, well, that's a big... Obviously, 35 million people is a lot of people. But I didn't understand the magnitude of it because um, they were looking at it from from the rating standpoint. So, <clears throat> so the very first show, I think, did 20 million viewers. And so the next morning, I was a car came to pick me up. They had me... Um, Oh, they had me at the Ritz-Carlton. They were putting me up in some pretty nice places when I got back to to the States because they were trying to keep me away from the public. So they put me at the Ritz-Carlton down in uh, Dana Point. And and they had a car come get me and take me up to L.A. And they took me straight to Fox, and I walked into the boardroom there with Sandy Gershaw, Gershaw, Gershaw. And – and again, it was a bunch of people around the table. And he said, "Do you do you realize what what's happened here?" And I said, "No. Why don't you fill me in?" He said, "Well, we did twenty twenty million plus the first the first. Uh, let me t- I take that back. I take that back. I got it. I got it. was the second show. It was the second show, John. Because the first show, um, the first show, their uh, talent was well, he wasn't with talent relations. He was with PR." And his name was Todd Adair, and uh, Todd had told me, "Wow, something really amazing happened last night uh, with the show ratings." I said, "What?" He goes, "You did 20 million, 21 million. I said, uh, "Oh wow, is that that's a lot, right?" He goes, "Yeah, it's unheard of for a season opener." I said, "Wow," and he looked at me, he looked at me, and he goes, "That it won't happen next week. It won't, it won't happen." He goes that he goes if 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 anything you know if you if the show's really hot the first you know episode the second episode will bleed off the second episode will bleed off a little more and he goes and then it'll just kind of it won't dissipate it'll just kind of flatline and he goes so you'll get you know 10 million 5 million around in there whatever it drops to and then the last right so it was the second it was the second episode that pulled in 20 21 million and that was when that was when they came and got me yeah, no, and then and then, you know, the third episode was, you know, ratings possibly in the twenties and the the fourth episode was really good ratings, I think maybe in the twenties, and then it just kinda of stayed like that until uh till the till the till the final episode and then it was just this huge blow off. It was just this massive you know, you know, thirty 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 five plus, close to forty thousand or forty million uh, viewers.
4: And you know, and I
1: and like I said, it just and for what? I mean, like I've, I've told a million people for what, I mean, it. it you know, it, it, it's just a guy that just happened to be in the right place at the right time. So I've never really taken it seriously. And anybody that's ever tried to, uh, to treat me like I take it seriously, I just kind of look at them kind of sideways. Like, you know, I'm, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to peg me as one of these people that thinks that they're, you know, some big celebrity. Cause I've never looked at myself like that,
3: you know? But that is a massive, massive number. What does Fox say to you at that point when they get 40 million viewers for the, the finale? They, um, it was funny because, because they came over and got me. At this point, they had
1: moved me up to Beverly Hills to, in, uh, to the St. Regis, which is right there in Century City. It's not there anymore. I don't know what it is now. but And they had me in a penthouse suite there, and so I would retreat you know I would retreat to there in the evenings after being out cuz my but the last week when the finale was going on my 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 parents were in town. And so um uh so the 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 show did 43 movies. and the other thing I'd like to add too is that I didn't watch any of the episodes on the nights that it was on. I was got I was out doing something else or I I was down at a bar somewhere getting slaughtered and I I never wa- I watched one episode and it was the episode that was on the week of the Super Bowl. <clears throat> because a uh a friend of mine that had always wanted to see the Super Bowl uh I flew him out because Fox was hosting the Super Bowl. Fox I think hosts the Super Bowl every year, but they uh the the Super Bowl was in San Diego that year of all of all places. So I got him tickets and he made me. He was uh Stan uh uh Stan with me at the time and um uh, yeah he I said uh hey man uh I'm gonna head up to bed, and he goes, he goes, nah, man. He goes, the wife's home watching, the, watching the show, and I'm watching the show, and I'm talking to her on the phone. You got to watch this with us, and I'm like, oh god. So I, I watched one episode, and I don't, I don't even remember what that episode was actually. So, it's since it's I've blocked it, I've blocked it out of, my, I've blocked the whole thing out of my mind, John. For, for, you no know, god, however many years it's been, six, seventeen years, it's been that long. I don't even think about it unless somebody brings it up. Didn't enjoy the show then at all. Are so you kind of regretting it I don't,
3: a little bit? I think
1: I there, there's been a um, there's been quite a bit of, of quite a, of a feeling of guilt. I think over doing something like this and getting recognition for it. And so I think there's a little bit of embarrassment to sit there and watch myself on TV do absolutely nothing to to gain you know. The the I, I hate to say fame but I did have fame for what I mean what I mean I, I didn't you know I didn't I just I didn't do anything to get that that kind of fame or notoriety so um and then to be handed a half a million dollars afterwards just for appearing on a TV show and not doing anything it just kind of so I think I think not watch myself you know because if I had I had watched it. i have been watching it through my fingers. I'd had my hand over my face the whole time. You know, uh, I ended up doing a, uh, show for game show network. <clears throat> Afterwards, I was a game show host for a show called fake a date. Mm-hmm.
4: And that was, oh, yeah. that was the,
1: yep. that, yeah, that was the first time I felt like I was actually, a, cause I was a game show host. So I was actually earning my money. I was making, you know, five, six grand an episode. and, you know, and uh, and I felt like I was doing something, but I just the whole, the whole. I don't even like saying the word of the show, or the name of the show. I mean, I just, I don't. It's just kind of one of those cringeworthy
3: <laughs> kind of kind, kind of things, you know. <laughs> but, but it was popular for a reason, though. You know what I mean? Like you resonated with some people; they loved you. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't just because you know you're you're tricking people, but people actually kind of fell in love with you yourself. Um.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you would think that. I mean, it it would seem it would seem that way, but there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of negative that came with it as well. I'd go into public, and you know, there there there'd be people that you know that would say things, and you know, and I'd be the. I mean, I tried to go to a motocross event with a couple friends of mine shortly after the show was over and jack fucking my might but during the show in Anaheim and uh yeah and I just man I had to leave because the people were throwing shit at me and it was it was over over reality show, you know, just saying shit, you know, and it just it's just just kinda so it's just one of those things that you, you either have to be really prepared for. No one really prepared me for it, but I
3: figured, you know, it'll die off. I was smart enough to know that it would dissipate over time. And it has. Very memorable show. Do you think it changed you at all as a person?
1: Uh
3: yeah. Yeah, I do. Um
1: uh yeah, it, it um I never I'm more <laughs> this is kinda of, kinda of interesting, I'm more reclusive now than I was before the show. Before the show I didn't mind going out to a bar and uh with a friend and, and just kinda of, you know, just going out socially uh now i i just kind of keep to myself more um uh it's changed my dating life a lot i don't even date uh hardly at all i mean it's just i, I just keep to myself um which is not a bad thing cuz i'm you know I'm, I'm happy i'm not you know i'm not coming home depressed <clears throat> but uh well, yeah i mean it's um it's it it has changed but it's not it's not been you know anything that i can't handle
3: kind of cool to be on like Simpsons and charmed and stuff like that. Uh yeah, of course. I mean
1: it it's fun. again, it's 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 for people that are moving to LA to to be able to add voiceover work on Simpsons to the resume or to be on charmed and add that to their resume. And it's I know it's got to be frustrating for somebody like that to hear me say mm, I just don't mention it or I don't Talk about it. In fact, it's so funny because I I don't I don't remember like you just said that I was on The Simpsons and I really don't remember that I was on The Simpsons. Is that crazy? I mean, I yeah, like crazy. I said, I, it's crazy. I don't remember it unless somebody brings it up to me, and then I go, oh yeah, you're right. I, I was on on The Simpsons. I, I forgot about that. Um, there were just a lot of things that I, I blocked out mentally, and it's crazy because I you would think that I would be you know, just more, Oh yeah, I did this and I did that. And I did this, but it's like when I'm out with my, my, my parents and, you know, my mother will tell somebody that we run into, you know, or she'll say, say something to somebody, you know, my my son was on Joe Millionaire. and I'm like, I just look at her and I'm like, Hey, you know, I know you're a proud mother, but I like to be very understated about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Very understated about it. I don't like to bring it up because again, John, you know, maybe I would hold my head up high if I had the most rushing yards in a season or I had the most home runs, you know, or if I was in a home run, you know, a home run challenge like, you know, uh, uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, you know, maybe if I was the third man in that home run derby, you know, maybe I'd be like, yeah, man, I I hung with them. Uh, It's nothing to be, to me, and this is just my personal opinion, it's just nothing to be proud of, to be asked to go on a reality show to date 21 girls that you really didn't go on dates with and then afterwards you're handed a half a million dollars. And yeah, i am very fortunate to have that money, but you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I don't take it seriously. And it's so funny because I'll run into people where I will not not now, but back years ago, I would run into people, you know, and I would have this happen to me. I'd be in public and somebody, you know, some girl would go, you think you're, you think you're the shit cause you're on TV. And I just kind of look at her. I'm like, if you only knew.
4: <laughs> I'm,
1: not, I'm yep. not walking around going do you know who I am Do you, you know what I'm saying John It's it's, yes. it's funny because yep. People want to people put you in that They want you to be And maybe that's why I figured the best way The best thing to do is just fade off into the distance And let everybody else Kind of you know step into that That spotlight
3: Now as far as Like Joe Millionaire I feel like you know, it did lead to many TV appearances and stuff like that. I thought, you know, th- that's got to be kind of cool and kind of rewarding, a little bit, no? Like being being able to do some of that stuff. It, it's really cool.
1: I um, I I look. Let, let me. I don't you know, to think that I'm not appreciative of the opportunities that I had. That's not it at all. I um, I did a lot of cool things, John. I mean, I. I mean, I could rattle them off right now. Went to the Playboy Mansion seven times, and I did a commercial with Joe Hivesman and Joe Fraser, uh, and Joe Piscopo, um, and as you know, I don't know if you ever saw there was a ragu commercial, um, and it was the joke was is that I wasn't a real Joe, and I think you could still look it up on YouTube, but uh, I ring the doorbell and. Joe Fraser comes to the door and I kind of throw my arms up and I go, Joe! And he goes, I don't think so, and he slams
3: the door in my face, because I'm not a real Joe. Um, that stuff was fun. Yeah, I um, do remember that. That is, That was pretty cool. Yeah, but and that was fun, and I told
1: the girl that was, worth, that was in makeup, I remember this guy. It's amazing. I can't remember certain things, but I can remember little conversations, because I guess the things that mean the most to you, you kind of Lock away in a in a special place, but I remember sitting there and the, talking to the girl in makeup, who was really sweet. And I said, "And I said, this commercial was tailor made for me." And she said, "Why do you say that?" And I said, "Because I don't take myself seriously." And the whole premise of this is that I'm not a real Joe, and you know the the, mm-hmm. the jokes the jokes kind of on me, and that's kind of for it, you know. And and I remember it was so it was kind of a neat moment, but I'll tell you something. I'll tell you a funny story about the set. For that commercial, if you, if you are you are you are you interested in hearing some stories or? Yes, hell yeah. Okay, so I pull up the, the set for this commercial. If you watch the commercial, it's not it's not in a studio. It's not you know it's not a it's not something that was built. It was at an actual home in North Hollywood. Uh, I want to say Thousand Oaks, and I pull up to the set, and I can see the production trucks, and as I make the right, there's a big, wide street, and I see two people playing, playing, throwing football, and I mean, this guy's just bombing it down the street, right? And this is as I'm coming around the corner. You can't, I mean, you couldn't even, you couldn't even make this shit up if you tried. I mean, it's just still, it's just one of these things that, and uh, as I pull up, the guy one of the guys kind of looks back and moves out of the way. Kid would move out of the way. Oh, car's coming, right? Kind of get the mm-hmm. – and I make a left, and I pull up, you know. And uh, I get out of the car, and it's Joe Theismann and Joe Piscopo throwing the football in the middle of the street. Wow. Well, so – I don't even remember where I was, what I was doing. Somebody was talking to me and it's what they were talking about is I was kind of in a fog. I, I was, but I was probably fucking hammered from the night before. John's really wants truth, but that, but we won't get <laughs> to go. fucking that shit. But, um, I remember looking, they kind of called us over to talk to us and Joe, Joe Frazier hadn't gotten there yet. I remember, I think he was running late and I, somebody said, did you bring the, did you, did you, oh, Joe went over, Joe Piscopo went over and threw the ball into a yard. Threw the ball into a yard. And, and somebody said, oh, that's not your that's not your ball, Joe, talking to Joe Theismann. Like it was a joke, right? And he goes, no, 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 we just got that. We're just found it in the yard there. Just took a swig of scotch, John, sorry. <laughs> so think about this, John. You're some kid who's, away, who's who's at school that morning. You've been at school all day. And while you were in school, Joe Theismann took your football, I think about this all the time, and said, hey, Joe Pesci. Or let's or, uh, Joe, Not not Joe Pesci, Joe Piscopo. Did I say Pesci before? It was Joe Piscopo. No, no, you said Piscopo. Okay. He said, hey, Joe, talking Joe Piscopo. Go down, go down there. I'm going to throw, start, start throwing you some bombs. I'm going to start throwing you some Hail Marys. And when the production was done, because I, I showed up, I got paid $125,000, and I was there probably three hours. Wow. Production left. All the trailers and all the semis and all the production crew left. That kid came home, got off that school bus, and grabbed that football. No idea. That one of the, the one of the NFL's greatest quarterbacks touched that thing. And I think hmm. about that. I think about that shit. That is pretty amazing. Because that because that's what they were doing. They were they had found a football in this person's front yard and thought we're just let's just start throwing it. And no, that kid will never know that that football was touched by that that guy.
3: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You,
1: is it? Do you know what I'm saying? That kinda, isn't that kind of isn't that kind of weird? Isn't that kind of creepy?
3: Kinda of weird, weird, but it's awesome. But it sucks that a kid never will know. he will never know. And I thought about this. Like I literally thought
1: about this. I'm thinking. And I'm looking. I'm going. God, that kid. And maybe he's just one of the casual fans. Like he's just a kid that his parents bought him the football, and he's the president of the chess club. Maybe he won't even. Maybe he wouldn't even appreciate it. But it's just the fact that this kid left this football out, and and it was and it was being thrown from an SNL comedian to an NFL quarterback, <laughs> back and forth, back and forth on this street. I don't know. I just think that that kind of shit is cool. And I don't and I don't get to tell these stories often. But, you know, it's just the shit that I, you know, just kind of saw during that time.
3: That is awesome. Yeah. yeah think about it. You know, one of the legendary QBs, one of the best is throwing around with an SNL star. Yeah, that is awesome to think about it.
1: it. Yeah, and hit, that kid will never know. He came home, got off that bus, said, hey, guys, come over. I mean, I'm just imagining, you know, because this is back before iPhones. This is back before they're facing an iPhone. Or I mean, kids played video games. But up until, you know, up until like 10 years ago, kids kind of still went outside and played, I would imagine, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just imagine that kid getting off the bus and, you know, hey, Mikey, Johnny, Joey, come over. We're going to get up a game of ball. And they do no clue that that ball had been – throttled down the street by Joe Theismann earlier that morning. I just, I I think about it all the time. I get goosebumps.
3: That's awesome. Now, Joe Millionaire itself, if you just think about the show, it was a little like wrestling and to a certain extent where, you know, it's a work and, you know, the work and the girls, it's, you know, to a certain extent, it kind of reminded me of wrestling. Maybe that's why I liked it, but, you know, it kind of reminded me of it a little bit. And you mentioned WCW, Nitro, and Thunder, and you were a big WCW fan, <laughs> as was I. More of a WCW guy. Were you a NWO guy? You a Sting guy? I mean, who, who'd you like from WCW? Um, wow, well, you're really switching gears here, aren't you? Um, yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I, okay. Well, then, then this is. I mean, like, there's no wrong answer here. I was never a Sting guy. I was only a Sting fan when he was wrestling with Flair. Hmm. And uh, I was always. I grew up on Atlantic Championship Wrestling. So being in Norfolk, or Virginia Beach, I was in Virginia Beach, Virginia, but I, but but we got being in in that uh, that area, we got uh, WWF, we got NWA or Mid Atlantic or WCW, whichever they were, whatever banner they were flying under, because it was WCW on Saturday nights mm-hmm. and Sunday nights. Remember, it was six oh five on Saturday night uh sunday i believe it was even 605 but you only got one hour i don't know if you ever remember that if you got mm-hmm. that um but we got all we got wrestling challenge on saturdays we got usa wrestling at noon on sundays we got prime time on mondays I mean, i'm just i'm throwing these out there maybe you remember them. we got prime time on mondays which was two hours with uh mm-hmm. gorilla and Heenan or gorilla and jesse which you know every year you want to start with yep Yep. Um. And then you got AWA. You got okay. So let me. So okay. So Mondays. I can go through the timeline. So Mondays. We'll start at Monday. Mondays. Monday evenings was prime time. Then I would fight my mother for the TV because I would beg her to watch it. Right. <laughs> yep. Um. You had to wait till Saturday to get anything else for us. <clears throat> but afternoons, you got Vern Gagne's bullshit promotion AWA because it was it was back by the mid eighties. It was a it was a it wasn't what it was prior you know and and espn was doing it at four o'clock in the afternoons so that would be my wrestling uh weekdays it would be four o'clock in the afternoon awa and i'm going somewhere with the wcw question this i have to I had to give you all of this to do it love it so uh saturdays you got wrestling challenge i think you might have even gotten two different rest ww wwf wrestling programs on saturday Saturday night is what you waited for because you got WCW studio wrestling out of Atlanta, 6.05. Sunday you got one hour, then you're back to Monday. I was an old school mid Atlanta guy. I was a kid to realize WWF was entertaining, but I wasn't going to buy until. I don't know what it was about me and my friends in the neighborhood uh, we we gravitated more towards Hulk Hogan was about the only person that we would that had a gimmick that we would go okay we want to see him you never saw him I don't know if you ever remember this you never saw him do you remember yep. that? Yep for the big shows Yep for the big shows anyway so when you asked me who I preferred during the WCW NWO time frame I didn't uh, Scott Hall I liked um, from NWO but unless I wasn't a Kevin Nash fan, didn't really know much about where his, his background or where he come from. He was just kind of there. Um, unless they were using older guys like Arn Anderson, I didn't really – I mean, I liked the show as a whole. I never got into the Lucha Libre stuff, uh, the Luchador stuff. Uh, about, about the time La Parka was coming out, I was going to grab, grab something in the kitchen. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, yep. Um, any of the guys with the NWO, I think like a lot of people do, if they had just kept it the Wolfpack, you know, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? X Pac, six. Yep. Yeah, six. Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hogan. Throw in one or two more guys, but they just started dropping guys in on the NWO, just for new, and it just, is just going. Come on, man. It just. So when you ask me who I liked out of that, it's it's really hard for me to say because if Arn was wrestling, I tuned in. If Larry Zabisco was wrestling, I tuned in. I liked the older guys that I watched in the eighties. And um to me it just got so hokey. That's why I could never watch WWE because, you know, it just and it just got so like, good Lord, man. I can't it's just I wanted the I wanted a guy with a real name that wrestled a real badass match like I would see in NWA in the early mid and late eighties. That's what I wanted to see. And, uh, you know, those were my memories, you know,
3: <clears throat> I didn't realize you were such a big NWA fan. So who's your, who's your big favorite from the NWA? Okay. So, uh, this is going to shock you, but,
1: uh, really like Rocky King. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. i are a huge Rocky King fan. That guy, I that guy I took an ass with him like nobody else. When
3: are you ever going to have anyone else mention Rocket King on your podcast? Yeah. That, that that's a good one. Use. Yeah, that's a that's a rare one. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Denny Brown. No, I'm kidding.
4: Yeah, um,
3: yes. There you go. Just, I um, literally just had. Um, if you remember Todd Champion, he was talking about how him and Denny Brown teamed up at Crockett Cup '87. So.
1: Todd Champion, yep. if there was ever a guy that literally had the look who just, I never felt, got it. You can watch his, I mean, I, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but you watch him, you just go, God, man, when he first got in, when he first broke into the business, it was painful to watch those matches. And you can see why, I mean, I don't know, do you agree or no?
3: Yeah, it was like six 6'5", like 290, he's just gigantic, but maybe the charisma was lacking, I'm not sure. Like, he, he it, you know, it wasn't like staying out there where he's, you know, full of charisma, something like that.
1: Right. But yo, I mean, it was the it was. If you go back and watch <clears throat>
3: um, some YouTube
1: stuff, you look him up, which I'm sure you have. Mm-hmm. It you can tell because Dusty was the Booker back then, remember? Yep. So you can tell Dusty was going. Here's this guy. Here's this guy who's got a great look. He's huge. He could be really be something. And they just kind of went, wait a minute. Yeah, he's not. He's not really getting it. He started doing some squash matches, and it just you know I remember I remember when he came on the scene, and my, and my, my friends and I that would watch on Saturdays. We were like, man, wait till you see this guy. He's going to be there. we like I said, we were smart. I mean, we kind of knew, hey man, this is going to be the new big thing. And then I remember my buddy Matt looking at me like, going, man, he he just got he just got his ass whipped, you know. But uh, I was a Tully fan. I was a Tully fan. Nice um and yeah that uh that carried over to when I started playing with Rick um at least I tried to get to um i was a I was a tully fan i i just like i thought he was just such a believable heel, and he could get so much heat with the audience, and he was so good and he I just, I just, I thought, uh, I just, I just like Tully. I like watching Tullys. I liked his matches. I like every. I just like everything about the guy. Yeah,
3: I'm a Tully fan. Me too. Big Tully fan. Yeah. Were you a fan of the Horsemen in general?
1: I was, I was, but I was a fan of everything up to Barry Windham, and then after that, it was just, it was just, poor shit.
3: <laughs> you know you agree that Wyndham uh, Blanchard Arn and Rick were the best horsemen no I believe that the original
2: nice. I go okay. people
4: Okay.
1: people people always and even the horsemen have and who am I I mean I'm Evan Marriott what do I know but so even the <laughs> horsemen say that the best combination of them was with Barry but to me the sequel is never as good as the original and Arn said that in an interview mm-hmm. you know to me the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Arn and Ole, the cousin Rick, with Tully in the mix, with you know, uh, you know Tully Blanchard Enterprises, with J.J. J. Dillon. To me, that was the best. That was the best.
3: You know, hard to argue that, but uh, you know, I guess people do say like wrestling-wise, Wyndham over Ole, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's hard to argue with the original. The reason I don't like Wyndham is because I don't think it was hard to believe Wyndham is a
1: is a heel. Mm, true. I just had a hard time believing Wyndham was a heel. He was he had been he had been such he had been a he ba- had been a baby face for so long, and I just didn't have. I mean, I had a hard time. I had no problem. I, I, okay, I'll take I'll, how's this? And this is gonna this is this is a lot of people are gonna be like you're so full of shit. But it's just my opinion, and it doesn't mean anything. But I believe that they lost their luster after Luger. I liked I liked Wyndham as a horseman, but Luger. It was the perfect storyline. We're take, we're kicking out the old the old geezer who still mm-hmm. has it, and mm-hmm. we're we're bringing in a young buck who's got a million dollar body, who is a power guy that we can put up against a hawk or an animal or a Nikita. You know they they had they had that guy. You know what I'm saying? They finally yep. had that guy, so they had that extra tool in their tool chest now that they could use and 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 to me, I'm thinking man they're a well they're a they're a perfect i mean not about no pun intended they're the total package right now they're the, they're the total package they've got the guy with the million dollar body they've got the world champ, and they got Tully and Arn as the workhorses and you you couldn't beat a better combination than that they go they got Luger out. They bring Wyndham in and I just it just to me it just went flat because I couldn't believe Wyndham is a is a heel. I couldn't believe it is a heel. All
3: right. <clears throat> I can't can't argue with that. I can see that. Yeah. Luger was awesome. That was like the perfect storyline. Oh, you want to spend time with your, your family? Like, screw you, we're getting this young. It was huge guy, yeah, it was awesome. John it was perfect. You know. Yeah. So those are so I was a big
1: I was a big NWA guy.
3: So. didn't didn't know you were such a fan. You know, that, that is great to, to know. Because, you know, you mentioned Nitro and Thunder. So I'm like, okay, he's a pretty big fan, an you know, old-school NWA fan. That's pretty impressive. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, well, yeah, I mean, we <laughs> – yeah, it was – I – my – I told Rick this. <clears throat> and if I tell you that Rick Flair started crying when I told you this, would you believe No, I don't think I would. No, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but no i uh i told rick when i met him i said uh i said uh i told him i said you know it's funny this cuz people talk about the time they went to a baseball game with their dad and they sat in the stage in the stadium and you know might have had a hot dog and your dad shared a beer with them and it, you know it was that I was like, my favorite experience was sitting in the scope in norfolk for you know, for the first time at, a, at an outing because I didn't go to baseball games with my dad. I think he tried to get me interested in we had the we had a we had a uh, uh, we had the Tidewater Tides, which were you know the farm league for the Mets. Yep. Um, but uh, my it might not have been my father's favorite night, but it was my favorite night because it was the first night that he came home with uh, with tickets. I think it was on a Thursday night to go to the wrestling wrestling matches in Scope, and it was Flair and Tully. And Luger against uh, Dusty Rhodes and the Road Warriors, where the that was the main event. Wow! And I told Rich, I said, "You know, it's, it's funny standing here in front of you, all those years later, when I was this 11-year-old kid looking over the,
2: you know, the barricade,
1: and I, because I wanted to be on the heel side, I wanted to watch the Horsemen come down. It was crazy. I wanted to see. I wanted to, I, because it was it." it Being, you know, being, because that was back when the heels came out of one, down one aisle and the, and the, and the, the, the baby faces came down the other aisle. Do you remember that? Yes. Oh yeah. They didn't come down the same aisle. That's how gay faith it was. So I wanted to be over on the heel side because I thought, because to me it was being gutsy enough to be there at the barricade when the bad guys walked by. And I told Rick, I said, here I am, this kid is, you know, five foot nothing looking up at You, like, and he came out, and I remember he had a white, he wore his white robe, and he walked right past me, I could have reached out and touched it, but I was too scared to. And it's crazy, you know, but that's, that's my memory, that was my memory, sitting in the kitchen of my mom, of my parents, uh, my parents' house, looking out the window, because I knew my dad was bringing uh, wrestling tickets home that night. Uh, cuz he worked in Norfolk right right down the street from Scope so i think at that time he would go up and buy them at the box office at the at the at the venue and i knew he was bringing them home for me and i i could not wait to lay my eyes on him. and i saw that car coming down the neighborhood dry, uh, street and i thought there's dad you know it's just that kind of stuff you know that puts a smile on your face
3: you know yeah those are awesome memories of uh, going to a show you know wrestling oh, yeah. with with pops that's really cool yeah and that's a hell of a main event, too. Jeez, also oh, main event. But 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 back but back then, John and <clears throat> I don't
1: know your experiences with your you know what what events you went to or or uh, you know whether they were WWF or NWA. But as a kid back then, and I was telling somebody this not too long ago. Back then, even when you saw the enhancement talent, the job guys, you know the guys that were the you know the lower card. If I, you know, we we. We, we got into the arena, and 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 the first match was, like, uh, Italian Stallion versus, you know, uh, oh, God, what's the guy's name? Um, we played Thunderfoot. Uh, Joel Deaton? No, not Joel Deaton. Um, I'm friends with him on Facebook, if you can believe that. And I can't remember the fucker's name. Um, not Joel Deaton. It was uh, Gene Liggin. God, I should remember that. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It
4: was, yep, yep.
1: it was Italian Stallion versus Gene Ligon. And, you know, that was back when they weren't on television. So these, so the the undercard guys would, would actually have a 15-minute match. So mm-hmm. the guys that you would see on TV, on TBS or in Mid-Atlantic, you know, on Worldwide, um, that was what it was. It was Worldwide on Saturdays. It was the other one that we watched, Worldwide Wrestling. And – uh You'd be looking at these guys and you'd be like going, Shit, these guys actually can work. I mean you didn't think that as a kid. You were like, These guys are having a good match and we just see them get squashed on T V. <laughs> those were the op- those were the opening matches, John. I mean you would see yeah. a G Liggan yeah. and a and a and a and a and a and a Italian stallion. Or you'd see a Rocky King and uh George South go at it. And they'd go at it for fifteen minutes. And they'd be doing leapfrog, drop down, you know, you know, hip tossed, arm drag. I mean, they'd, they'd be going, they'd be running their spots, man, and, and going at it, too. And th- so that was – so when you were a kid, you didn't give a shit if it was a may- – you wanted to see the main event, but you're going, God, these guys are really getting at it. It was just good – it was a good time to be a wrestling fan, and it was a good time in wrestling.
3: Yeah, some of those guys are great. I mean, George Stout is awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. One of, one of Ric Flair's favorite opponents, oddly enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're yeah, right. some of the, it's great, some of those guys. Me being from uh, New Jersey, mostly a, like a WWF guy as far as live shows. But, man, I used to, me, uh, my brother, I mean, we used to watch everything. We You know, we had TBS, so, you know, we used to hugely love NWA NWW, and WCW. Uh, and my sister is older than us, but her friend was, like, obsessed with Dusty Rhodes and NWA. So he used to always make us watch. He's like, this is the real shit. You like Hogan? He's the fake stuff. Like he, I remember he used to, like, <laughs> really get honest with the kid. Yeah. We we're you know, we we're obsessed with Hogan. We're going to uh, Meadowlands. We're going to MSG. You know, we're doing all these all these things. But we loved the the, the, the uh, WCW guys, and I did like Dusty. But it was funny that, that it was like a divide, I guess, between some of the fans. Like that's sports entertainment. This is wrestling. They're really bleeding, and, right. and it, it, it's just funny to divide with some of the fans. Right. We didn't, no, and we didn't have. Well, that was
1: the thing. Is that it's it's funny that you guys had that. You know, further north, you guys had. The you know because because NWA and WCW would go as far as Long Beach. I mean, I remember them talking about a bunkhouse stampede that they held out on Long Island,
4: mm-hmm. or not, yep. Long, not
1: Long Beach, Long Island. Which there is a Long Beach on Long Island, but, um, but yeah, I mean they went. They tried to they tried to venture north, and that's so funny. that It was a almost like a a wrestling war between who you know the you know even back then. Yeah. Um, yep. But, but but because we were further more almost more centrally located. We would flip back and forth between the two, and we would, you know, we saw when Orndorff turned on Hogan, and you know, we saw when, you know, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it just it was it was just a really good. I brought up to somebody, and you'll like this. I did a I did a podcast five years ago with a guy out of Florida that found me out of nowhere and, and asked me to do an interview with him, and I said, yeah, he's a real good guy. His name's Ethan, but I it was funny because he was a huge wrestling fan, and he had found out that I had worked for Rick or or, or trained with Rick, I should say. And uh, and I think that's why I did the interview with him, because no one ever, I mean, no one knows unless somebody looks it up. Right. And uh, I said to him, I said, Ethan, do you remember back the PWI, Pro Wrestling Illustrated? And you'd go almost, it was like three or four pages from the back, might have been more than that, but it was towards the back of the magazine. And there you would get the ratings of all the, all the, all the, all yeah. the, uh, Oregon Do all you remember
3: them? yeah all the different promotions absolutely yeah
1: and it was so funny because it was just that was you know you'd see uh uh you'd see mid-south and you'd see wwe and you'd see or wwf time you'd see nwa see wcw which was kind of like you're like wait a minute the wcw guys the nwa guys you know but it was just it was it was just great I, and you get the most hated it was popular you know most hated tag team. It was just, it was just,
3: it was great. Those were just, those were just
1: great, great times. Absolutely.
3: I used to love it when my parents would make us go food shopping with them. We would just sit in the magazine aisle and read, you know, read all the magazines. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was,
1: God, man, it was good shit. Well, this is the thing that I think is wonderful. And, And you've, you'll, because you're so much more, on top of it than I am as far as, you know, the wrestling and, you know, who did what when and everything. I'm learning so much now in the year 2020 about wrestlers um, and where they started, what, what territories they went through and who they had, they did programs with before they got to where they were when I started watching in the eighties, or early eighties. So like, I never knew, D.B. and Junkyard Dog were in Mid-South. I never knew that Hercules was in Mid-South as Mr. Wrestling uh, Under the Mask with Mr. Wrestling 2. I never realized that. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm finding out that before they ended up in WWF as the Million Dollar Man or before they ended up in WWF as Jim Duggan, they were down in Mid-South. I never knew this stuff because I didn't get Mid-South. You know what I mean? Yep. I didn't know that Magnum T A started in mid south and then went to the NWA. Um and Ma- Magnum T A was from my area. In fact my father did um finance stuff. My father was a banker and my father did finance stuff for a guy named Glenn Grandstaff. And just out of nowhere, Glenn didn't know that my dad had a son that liked wrestling. Glenn just said something about his friend Terry Allen and my dad said you know, or and said and, and he came home that night and goes, Yeah, I just ran into a guy today in the bank that his friends with Magnum TA, and they work out together, and sure as shit, you know, friends and, and I would talk to Magnum years later and say, hey, do you know this guy on social media? And I'd say, do you know this guy, Glenn Grandson? He goes, oh, yeah, he's my best friend back in, you know, back
3: in the day, and I would talk to him in forever. So it's just funny. That is crazy, the connection yeah. there with Magnum TA. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I mean, okay, cool and it's pretty cool, though, to be able that, to connect that, with him, too.
1: Well, and that's one of the things that this show did bring out or did allow me to do is because of and it's weird because I call it a club. Um, I call it a club, John, because I've, I've had doors open to me that probably wouldn't be open to somebody that, you know, when when like, like uh, Nicola Roberts, um, Baby Doll. Baby Doll, yep. Yeah. Um, I, I was friends with What was it? Was I friends with Magnum on... Because I'm friends with him now on social media. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. But back years ago, before there was a flood... I mean, back when the Instagram and stuff was still early... They're still in its kind of, you know, in its prime. I was friends with him, and and she was friends with him. And she noticed... She said, that looks like the guy on the TV show. And so then she messaged me, and I started talking to her. And so now I... were and we kind of fell out because of political reasons because, you know, that which is horrible, but i talked to her every so often and I thought it was so odd that I'm talking to baby doll, you know, just because I was Evan Marriott on Fox. Right. Right. Yep. It's just weird stuff like that, you know? And, and so, but I, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's weird how stuff. And I hardly ever talked to her about wrestling. Oddly enough, we would just talk about other stuff. Um, you know, I talk to you quite often, and you'll like this. In fact, I want to see if she wants to come on your podcast, because she'd probably do it in a heartbeat, is uh, Deborah Michelle.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've had her on before. Yeah, she's awesome. Yep. Oh, you've had her, had her on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, not that oh, no yeah. long ago, actually. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome.
1: Okay. Well, next, if you talk to her next time, ask her. She calls. So I actually just talked to her a couple weeks ago. She, uh, yeah, she's a great. She's great. She's wonderful. She calls me Bob billionaire. <laughs> she's awesome.
3: Uh, yeah. She's a no nonsense kind of girl, which is
1: nice. Yeah, no, she's great. I had a, we, um, I had a Harley Davidson. I had a fat boy, uh, custom fat boy. And she was, we were going to do a, a ride up to Vegas, a charity ride. And I, and she was there and she had her Harley and, and I'd known her from years before. And, uh, And this was before even I was on Joe Millionaire. I I met her before I did the show, and um, we. I it's I I was pulling away from the event. I was going to head home and sleep before the next day when we were all going to ride up to Vegas. And uh, there's a there's a bike lock that you put on the forks of the bike to keep anybody from stealing it. It's just it's just a padlock basically, Mm -hmm. and I'd taken the thing off and I put it on my I put it on my belt loop. And I put it usually. I put it on my hip belt loop. I put it one loop back on my jeans. And when I sat on the bike to take off, I was sitting on the belt on on the lock. And I and I took my my right hand and I started reaching around. But instead of reaching across my back, I reached across my stomach to try to grab it. And I lost control of the bike. And I was going through the when I was going through the the, the parking lot. And I hit. I hit a, I hit a car bumper. You know the little bumpers for the parking. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I hit the bumper, and the bike went over on its side. And everyone that was there, at the, I'm laying there, and I was fine, but my pride was hurt. Some old man goes, "What the hell happened to Bob Billionaire?" And she heard it. <laughs> she heard it. So from that day forward, she goes, she calls me Bob Billionaire because this old crotchety fucker called me Bob Billionaire. <laughs> it's, anyway, if you ever talk to her, ask her
3: if she's if she's talked to Bob Billionaire. She will she will piss herself laughing. That is great. That's so funny. Yeah. Some some guy in New York goes Bob Billionaire. Yeah, I yeah. love how she what? remembered it. It's stuck though. That's awesome.
1: Oh we oh yeah no we we uh, well we I mean I talked to her a couple times a year. Um, you know I've been to see when she was uh, racing for uh, for Monster Jam and all that. You know. She's she's a good gal.
3: Now, you know, you mentioned how, you know, nobody really kind of knows or few, few people know that you actually trained to be a wrestler with UPW with Rick Bassman. What, you know, what is that story? How did kind of Rick, I guess, recruit you to UPW? Because, you know, you're you're a big fan. You're a pretty big guy. Um, did he just say, like, oh, this guy's got the look. You were a fan. You want to get interested in it. How did you get to UPW? So... I was
1: working for a supplement company in Venice Beach called California Protein. And the guy that owned California Protein, his name was Matt Beauvais. And he owned a gym called, or had owned a gym called Beauvais Gyms or Bovey Gym in Phoenix, Arizona. And back in the day, John, you would see wrestlers, uh, Ultimate Warrior, Sting, Nash, all those guys wearing Beauvais Gym. I didn't realize it until I, I looked back at these videos. You know, remember, remember back in the day when it wasn't as regulated, when they could wear a shirt on TV and they wouldn't be blurred out. So you'd see right. a wrestler on TV wearing a shirt or a sweatshirt, and it would say Goals Gym, or it would say Easton Gym, or it would say something supplements. So and they would be out cutting from them and they'd have some, you know, they would have some, and it wasn't because somebody asked them to wear it. They were probably just wearing it because that was what was in their gym bag in the locker room, right? So back in the day, I would see these guys cutting promos. They would have Bove Gym sweatshirts on. Well, I worked for this guy, and we were right across the street from Gold's Gym Venice, which is the Venice, this, the Gold's Gym in the world. And we would go in there and work out, and... I had an apartment right above the offices. So for two years, let's say, man, probably wasn't two years, probably a year and a half max, I lived across from Gold's Gym Venice. And I could just walk across the street and right in the front door and work out and there would be Lou Ferrigno or there would be Corey Everson or there would be, you know, pick a bodybuilder and they were in there at any hour of the day. And the owner of Gold's, one of the owners, with Pete Grimkowski and like one other, one other guy. His name was Ed Connors, and uh, Ed walked up to me one day. I used to work out with a guy named, uh, in fact, you might even know him, being from New Jersey. I worked out uh, with a guy named Joe DeAngelis. Do you remember him?
3: That sounds very, very familiar.
1: Joe DeAngelis was a bodybuilder, um, and uh, he was in all the, you know, muscle fitness, Iron Man, all that stuff. He died back in two thousand fifteen. Kidney failure. But I worked out with Joe and um Ed came up to me one day and said, uh, Ed had a real distinct voice. And he just came up to me one day and he said, uh, you know, my name's Ed Connors and you know, I don't know if you you're interested in getting into wrestling, but you know, I just think that, you know, you you've you got a good look and you're a big guy and I I know a guy I meant Rick. That uh, I could turn you on to and and at the time this is going to blow your mind at the time uh, John Cena was living with him he had put John Cena up at his house he would he would bring bodybuilders he and Joe Weeder you know muscle muscle fitness mm-hmm. Joe, yep. he and Joe Weeder were in tight so what he would do is he would Ed would actually recruit bodybuilders and he would go all over the world to gyms. And try to find. He would walk into gyms and just look for bodybuilders to come to Venice and train. And he would put them up in his house. He had a house right on the beach, and um, a huge, huge house. And um, at the time, he had uh, John Cena at his house. John Cena was living in one of the bedrooms upstairs. And John Cena was making um, protein shakes at the pro shop. I would, I would walk in. The Gold's Gym, and John would be there with his mohawk, making six bucks an hour making protein shakes for people. That's how I remember John Cena. Wow. And um, and I was cordial with him, and he was cordial with me, and he was a nice, humble kid. I say kid, he's my age, but um, and just walked up to me and, and said, "Do you want to?" Well, it just so happened. That in and if I'm going long on this, stop me because it's it's a it's a it's a detailed story. But one day I was watching TV, across the street, and um, I'm flipping around, and I come to WCW where I wanted to be, and I hadn't seen the WCW, excuse me, WCW product in a couple months, and I see this guy yelling and screaming. And I'm like, God damn it! I know that guy, and I look, and it's Sean O'Hare. Remember Sean O'Hare? Oh, of course. Yep. Okay. Well, I played ball with Sean O'Hare in, in uh, military school. Wow. Really? So damn. I, I, so I said, I said, god damn, is that, is that, that's Sean O'Hare. So back then you could call information and get people, remember, remember information, John? <laughs> you could call yep. information and get numbers from people anywhere in the world. So I called Hilton Head where he was and I said, uh, Mrs. O'Hare, or Hare was his name. They threw the O on there. Why they wanted to make him Irish, I have no idea. But his last name was Hare, H-A-I-R-E. So I said, uh, Miss Hare, I just, I, this is Evan. Do you remember me? And she goes, basically, I said, I went to military school with your son. And I said, I'm in California, and I just saw him on TV. And um, I, she goes, yeah. She, kind of said, she goes, yeah, he's into that wrestling shit. She goes. But he's making good money. She goes, and she goes. But I just saw him the other night. I said, Yeah, I did too. I said, Would you mind giving him my number? She goes, No, I totally will. And that's how. So I, he called me. How are you doing? And I said, I just saw you the other day. And he said, Well, we're you know. He goes, Well, there's a guy in in uh, talking about Rick. He goes, There's a guy down there that um, that I heard about. His name's Rick Bassman. I said, Well, yeah. I said, I about him. He goes, Yeah, a
3: train with him. How did all that happened? Nuts. And then you like what what's the time frame? Like when do you start training? What year was it? So
1: I go, God, I was God, Rick would know this. This is the damn haze. I I think I started training with Rick in two thousand. And just went down there, found out when they were doing a tryout or whatever they were doing. And they did have a lot of people show up. It was funny. They had some biker. It was weird. They had some, I don't want to call them a biker gang, but they had some bikers that showed up, and there was actually some chicks that looked tougher than the actual dudes were. Um, there was this one girl, blonde, who was all jacked to the gills, and she wanted to be a wrestler, and I think she lasted for about a cup of coffee. And um, a couple other people, and, <clears throat> you know, I just, they asked me if I'd come back, and I said, yep. And they asked me if I'd come back again. I said, yep. And then it just kind of morphed into me coming down to train. And that was that. So
3: who's the main trainer, Tom Howard? Tom was the
1: main trainer. And then um, the guy, if you can believe this, the guy kind of that that helped Tom as an assistant was uh, Samoa Joe. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, and then we had uh, Mike Bell. Who was called Smelly at the time. <laughs> and we had Chris Bell, who did the documentaries, you know, Bigger, Faster, Stronger. And um uh, so we had a we had a, a group of guys there. I mean we did. We had uh Nathan Jones, you remember him? Oh yes. John Reich. So we had some we had some big dudes there. And I'm six four, five, depending on if there's an insole in a shoe. And um I'm walking around about two sixty and uh uh, yeah, I mean, I was just kind of thrown in the mix there. We had, uh, Luther Reigns that had come, he was on, he had been in WCW because I'd seen him and it's t- to tell you the honest truth. He's a good friend of mine now. I, I talked to him on occasion, but you know, I was starstruck cause I'd seen him on WCW and then he showed up at Rick's, Rick's, uh, organization at UPW because I think he came there to kind of rehab. he had hurt himself or something.
3: Good old horseshoe.
1: Yeah good guy, had a stroke, and I always liked you. He just he's a different guy, but and, you know, to tell you the truth, it's funny because I kind of knew going back to what I told you earlier <clears throat> when you asked me who I really liked in NWA, I was a Pelley fan, right?
4: hmm
1: And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, um, but I had, I was a workout fiend, like I worked out twice a day, and I watched what I ate, and I was I just started to take a little bit of some supplements if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um and uh, so I was I was looking pretty good and I really liked Rick Rude. I liked kind of his mannerism. I liked the way he moved, I liked the way he, you know, threw his punches. I kind of I liked there was a it was almost like an intense it's hard to hard it's hard to describe his style. But I, unbeknownst to Tom and Rick, I was watching a lot. I mean, because this is back before YouTube, John. So I was watching a lot of VHS tapes, old school VHS tapes. And I was watching a lot of NWA VHS tapes, right? And I'm watching, I'm taking little bits of spots and things from different wrestlers. I liked the attitude of Tully Blanchard. I liked... The, I like, you know, I, I could, I could, I honestly, I don't know, I'm not bragging on this, but I could, I was a pretty close physique to Rick Rude, and that's no shit. I mean, I was ripped. Um, and I liked, like I said, I liked his certain things, and then there was Wahoo McDaniel, when he would whip a guy into the ropes, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do a monkey paw with the guy, so it's wrist to wrist, if I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but when mm-hmm. you when you when you sail a guy into the rope, it'll be almost like a monkey paw action, like a wrist to wrist. So he you grab his wrist, he grabs your wrist, and you you don't grab it. You just kind of you you. He pulls himself through, and they would always tell me, "Now don't don't touch his back. Don't push him. So when you whip him through, don't take. So if I'm if I'm whipping him with my left hand, don't take your right hand and push him. Well, one day in class. I had seen wahoo Wahoo didn't do any of that shit, Wahoo, and if you go back and watch his matches, if you watch him whip a guy in, he'll grab both he'll take his bright he'll take both hands and put them on the guy's wrist, and he'll whip literally whip him into the rope with both arms and I thought that was so fucking cool, so I was doing like a a, a kind of a almost like a scrimmage we it's the best way I can describe it we were I was doing a match within class with a guy. And I took both my hands and I whipped him in. And Tom goes, no, 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 no. don't You don't do that. Don't do that shit. And the minute he said that, and Tom was a great guy. Don't get me wrong. I, Tom is a great guy. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I always liked him, and he was a great trainer, and he was always really good to me. But the minute he said that and he tried to teach me, the minute I
3: started to shut down. Does that make sense, John?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah, because you, you Wahoo was doing it. You like what you saw. You wanted to do that, yeah. I wanted to emulate
1: it, mm-hmm. and I wanted it to – and even though it wasn't going to be my own, all of these other students were doing it the way Tom taught them. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to hurt this guy, but I'm trying to be different, and I'm trying to take the cowardice of Tully as a heel who powders, who begs – do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Who, yep. who, his intensity – I'm trying to take the offense of Rick Rude, because I like the way he threw his little flipper punch. Because you remember how Rick Rude used to throw
3: a punch? Oh, yes. Yeah. A... Do you yeah. remember that? Oh, yes. Yeah. Was... Yeah. Did you like it? I loved it. I loved Rude. Everything he did was great. So I tried to take Rude's
1: offense, Tully's defense, and somebody like Oahu, the intensity of Oahu. And I tried to take all of these different guys and put their different characteristics in and gel them into one. And, and I thought, man, I'm going to create the ultimate, I'm going to, I'm going to create the ultimate, you know, I had a plan. And every time I try to open up that plan, it just, they wanted to kind of pull me back in and go, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And I'm going, God damn, am I doing it wrong? Because I'm trying not to be cookie cutter. And so that was kind of what started the downward spiral with me. Cause and I never—it's funny because do you remember when I did the interview with Rick a few months back?
3: <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah.
1: And I said to Rick
3: because I like Rick a
1: lot. I do. If I, I wouldn't have done the interview with I did didn't I? Rick, I've always been—I've always thought Rick could have done so much more. Even though he's doing great now, I always—I always thought this guy's this guy could have done a lot. He just—he just—he's always you know with the cancer and everything. He's always been just kind of dealt a bad hand constantly. But I. uh I I just, man, that was what it was, man. I just, I wasn't able to kind of express, to take what I was watching and studying and trying to be, I was trying to be a study of the business, not just some kind of Mark that liked WC, you know, Nitro. That's all these other people were in that class. They were just guys that watched Nitro and Raw and wanted to be a superstar. I wanted to be a worker. I wanted to be, I took it serious. And every time I tried to take it serious, I was told to ratchet it back because this was the wrong way to do it. And I'm thinking, is it? Because the guys that
3: were the legends were doing this shit. Do you
1: know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep.
3: And that's what kind of, like, threw you off. That's what kind of made you get out it, like of wrestling. It's let you be you.
1: It started turning me off. I mean, I, Rick had said something about them, W, I think, WCW or somebody was trying to give them rings It was something about he was going to acquire, or acquire, I should say, not acquire, acquire some WCW rings, and I made some comment in class. I said, I was like, why don't you take them? It'd be cool to wrestle on a WCW ring, you know, know." and he made a comment to me like, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I mean, he was just, I kind of deserved it because I kind of talked out of turn, but he just said something to me like, you know, you don't know anything about – going on you've ever been in this business long enough you don't have an opinion it was kind of shut me down Mm -hmm. And and then it was cool I didn't I didn't really but I but I kind of knew right then I'm like you know I'm wondering if I'm going to be able to kind of if I'm going to be able to put my twist on who I want to be if I get signed or if I get seen by somebody or am I going to be told that this is how I need to be and that's not really who I am does that make sense John and so when I, you know, and and so when I got off, it was funny because I got off that interview with him back then. I thought, you know, I should have just said it because he's a good guy and he would have understood it. But I just kind of left it because I don't really know why I left. <laughs> yeah. I don't, know, yep. I don't know why I left, Rick. I just kind of, you know what I'm saying, I know exactly why I left because I wasn't able to kind of express who, and like I said, I, I was – I was different from the other people that were in there training. The other people were in there training because they wanted to be famous. I was in there training because I wanted to do something that I watched my entire life, and I finally had an opportunity to do it.
3: You know? Yep, you were a huge fan. You loved the business. Yeah. yeah. So do you remember your actual matches? Because Rick says you've had two matches in UPW. Do you remember them? Yeah. Um, I had two
1: matches uh, on these light shows where there were probably 100 people. And so there was nothing. It was so fun. It was just comical that you would bring them up. But, you know, I had I had other matches, which I was telling you earlier, were like scrimmages in, in practice where we would go 15 minutes and I'd be blown up like hell. But um, that, that no one will ever, you know, see. And there was a guy that actually recorded the two matches that I had. I had one with Spanky. Uh, God, I can't remember what his real name is. Uh, Brian Kendrick. Kendrick. Brian Kendrick, I mean. And uh, and then another guy, Alcatraz, mm-hmm. who's yep. who's a really, who's a really good guy, who probably probably should have gotten a better look than what he got. He he, I always liked I always liked him a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, I I just remember being. Well, here's something else that, that that you'll really you'll you'll get? I had really bad stage fright too, because. They would I was always under the impression that it, everything was called in the match, right all the good all the good you know workers they just they didn't they didn't work their shit out before they went out there they called it in the ring so when a guy like Brian would sit down with me or even 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 in, in like a practice where they would sit down and go, okay, when we go in there for our ten minutes, this, 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 and this, and I'm thinking, man, I've got ADD. I'm not going to remember that shit. Like, you're, you're going to have to, you know like, going to have to. you're going to have to kind of tell me in there what's coming next. You know, okay, you feed to the turnbuckle, feed out, I'm going to give you a clothesline, which no one was really giving me clotheslines out of the turnbuckle. But, but you know, it was just, just an, it was an example. But Brian would work out these matches, and he worked out this 10-minute, 15-minute match that we had, and I'm thinking, man, how the fuck am I going to – so I'm going out there, and I'm thinking, I'm going to fuck this up. And I obviously didn't. I did a, I did an okay job. But I had always wanted Rick and Tom to team me up with somebody. And there was a guy that I was training. And I always thought that Denny and I would make a pretty good tag team. And I thought, I can either be the guy that gets tagged in – to start, you know, to make the comeback, or I can take the heat. Either who one. was
3: the who was the guy? I'm sorry.
1: The guy's name was Denny, and I can't remember his last name. Um, <laughs> but he was he was a good dude. But six, about my height, pretty much. he was probably two ninety. He was a heavy guy, but he was a good dude. And he and I got along gangbusters. And um, I just I, I just thought to 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 kind of to kind of break me in and get my nerves down a little bit. I, I kind of wanted to try my hand at tag tag, ma- tag matches. The other thing that I liked about Tully and Arn back in the day was, I would watch. The reason I like Tully is when you. Uh, the reason I tried to emulate him is when Tully would get tagged in. Demolition did this too. Um. Oh God, what's the guy's name? Smash. Agnes Smash. Smash. Yeah. Um, Barry Darsa. Barry Darso would do this. Tully and Barry did this. They'd get. T- they wouldn't go to their opponent. They'd go over and they would. If there was a six-man or a, or just a regular tag, they'd go over and they'd smack or hit their opponent's partner out on the out on the apron, and then the and and so that would make the the referee run to them, and then they would go over and pull, and pull their opponent over into their corner, and they'd start double-teaming him. And I thought that was ingenious. I was like, that is, that is pure heat right there. And they would do it, and I thought, man, that is, that is gold. That is fucking gold. And so I wanted to be able to do that in my matches. I wanted to be able to tag with somebody and do stuff like that. And they just never wanted to do that. They wanted to keep me as a singles guy. So there were just little things that, like I said, like I, I had in my head where I wanted to go and it just, they didn't see it like that and they were the boss. And so I just kind of said, eh, maybe this isn't, isn't going to work out. And then, and then um, WWE bought WCW, which was kind of the, the cherry on top because I didn't want to work for Vince. I wanted to go to WCW where Sean O'Hare, where, where Sean was, you know, mm-hmm. and, and where I, what I'd grown up watching, you know, I'd watched WWE, but I didn't want to, I'd, I'd heard nightmare stories about Vince.
3: So, And O'Hare is one of those guys where it's like, man, he should have been a big star. How did, you know, obviously WWE going out of business didn't help that. But, like, when he was in WWF, he could have been a huge star. I think he was a –
1: see, the problem with that, John, is I don't know what went on uh, behind the scenes with Sean. Shawn. Uh, at WW, or WCW or WWE when he went over there because he worked with Roddy Piper over there, remember? Yes. Oh, yes. Great gimmick. And, and I don't remember, well, I don't remember. I don't know what happened backstage because Sean, Sean had a temper. So I got a good Sean O'Hare story if you want to hear it. Yes, um, yes. So we're in military school, Hargraves Military in Chatham, Virginia. And I'm on. I'm in Sean's company, which is Bravo Company. And I'm at with Study Hall. And Sean, as a kid, was a big kid. So, however you see him in WCW, is pretty much how he looked to all of us in high school. And that's no shit. He was a big kid. He had big forearms. He had. He just. He was just. A, when he came to the school. And we we heard that he was gonna play on the football team. We just it was just he just was a monster. And he had a bad temper. And we knew he had a bad temper. And I'm sitting in study hall one night and the teacher that was there was always be one teacher from the school, a professor, that would monitor all of the barracks. So there were oh, Alpha Bravo Charlie, there were there were four or five barracks different companies, so the one teacher would go, you know, would just kind of walk back and forth on each floor and monitor everything. You know, and it was really quiet because we're kids and we're studying, right? And I hear, and that night, that particular night, it was a a professor, and his name was Colonel Burke. Uh, And Colonel Burke was about 6'8", he probably weighed about three. Three ten, three twenty. Big dude, and he was the the he was the professor on duty that night for study hall. So I'm sitting in my room doing my what I probably wasn't doing shit. I was probably sleeping, napping, and um, I hear this commotion down the hall and the hall, the, the floors were these old, old concrete floors that had been glossed over with like a real, like a, and when you, if you ran down them, the whole barracks would like, you could feel it. It was almost like an earthquake, right? And all of a sudden, I hear this crash, and I hear all this yelling, and I look, and I'm, I, I can feel, I can, I can feel it. The ground, the the floor is shaking, the floor is shaking, and all of a sudden, I see this person go by in green slacks and a light green shirt right past my door. It was Colonel Burke. He was running. And I hear the door fly open to go down into the stairwell, and then I see a, a, a some blue slacks and a, a gray shirt go by, and that was Sean. Colonel Burke had taken a book and slammed it down on Sean's desk, and I, and the word is, is that he took his hand and pushed Sean's head. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but Sean took the desk and threw it out the window, or at the window, and it went out the window. Oh. And Colonel Burke got so scared that he ran, and Sean ran after him. So it oh just so happened – I mean, it's, this is real shit. I mean, it can be corroborated by – I mean, I'm serious. Uh, our wrestling coach, uh, Coach Motley, who was probably one of the sweetest men I've ever met in my life. I'm serious. This guy was a saint of a person. He never got angry. He never yelled at anybody. I don't think he knew how to raise his voice, but he was our wrestling coach. And he was a, and he was a thick dude, too. I mean, he, he, Coach Motley had some arms on him, man. He was a, you know, physically, he was, a, he was, he was no joke. And Colonel Burke ran downstairs, and as Coach Motley tells it, because I talked to him a few years ago about, well, maybe back in 2013, I went to visit him. He happened to be coming up the stairs as Colonel Burke was going down the stairs, And and he caught Sean coming down the stairs and tackled him. Coach Motley tackled him, had the balls to tackle him. And Coach Burke kept on running. No one's seen him since. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) <laughs> but he
4: uh,
1: he tackled him, and I don't. He didn't get kicked out because you didn't go after a professor in that school, or you get you would get kicked out. That was that was grounds for dismissal. But he got Sean on the ground, and I don't know how he did it because Sean was a bad dude. He got Sean tackled, and he calmed him down, and I don't know how because Sean, when Sean was pissed, you wouldn't you wouldn't recover for days. But he respected Coach Motley, and I talked to Coach Motley about this. Um, I said, do you remember that time when Sean chased Colonel Burke out? And he goes, yeah, I remember. He goes, and I, I don't know how they swept that under the rug. I don't know how Colonel Burke didn't go to the president or the dean of the school and say, we need to get this kid out of there. But Sean wasn't dismissed, but it was literally, like I said, it was swept under the rug, and it was never talked about again. But that would have been a bad scene if he had caught Colonel Burke, because he'd have kicked a living shit out of it. Wow. And that was, that was Sean. So when Sean moved, when I reconnected with Sean here in San Clemente, I mean, it was like old home week and Sean loved me to death and was just said, Hey man, because I loved watching you on TV. It was so great. And you know, I'm thinking, well, shit, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some gay ass shit. I don't mean to be, you know, I just don't mean to use that term, but I'm doing some stupid shit over here with this reality show, you know, and you're, you're out, you know, wrestling was what I want to do. You know, so there was a lot of respect there, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. um, he uh, – he, um, he, he—it it was just funny that he and I would end up here in San Clemente because he ended up marrying Tom Howard's uh, sister-in-law. I don't know if you know that.
3: No, no, I didn't know
1: that. He would end up marrying Tom Howard's sister-in-law, and we would go out to the bars here in San Clemente, and he would get – he was 86 from almost all the bars because he would beat up Marines here in town. Wow. I mean, I, I mean, I witnessed him drag a guy out into the middle of the street outside of a bar here in Oildons, and he was beating the shit out of him. He told the bouncers, "If you come near me, I'm going to beat him even harder." He was a crazy dude.
3: He was yeah, a crazy it's unfortunate. Dude. Unfortunate what happened, but I guess he had some mental health issues that uh, yeah. were, were looked into. Yeah, he really did. I mean, he
4: really
1: did, and I mean, from a young age, from a young age. And I have told people, and and, and 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 Rick would agree with this. Tom would agree. Anybody that knows him, if he liked you, he liked you, and if he didn't like you, you there was a punch coming to you at some point if you weren't ready. He just he, he settled everything with his fists. He didn't settle anything by just talking about. He would if he he had an issue, he he punched you. Which so this is where I go back to WWE and then WCW. I knew him from school, and I knew that's how he was. So was he that tame backstage? Was they Were they able to reason with him? Were they able to – do you know what I mean? I, I always wonder, was he mm. difficult to work with? Was right. that why he was let go? You know? Because the zebra doesn't change his stripes.
3: Yeah, you're right. He might have been
1: – yep, might have been trouble backstage. And yep. I don't – and I'm not saying this about I'm not speaking ill of the dead. I'm not sp- I'm not saying anything about it because I love that guy. He was a he was a good good guy. He had a he had a great heart, but he just had a temper
3: on him that man. It was not good. Now, as far as you know, you get out of the business, you're you know, you're done with the business. How do you get a relationship with Rick Flair? Because I know you were very friendly with the Nature Boy. Um. So Rick and I.
1: Um. I had a publicist. I couldn't think of her name, and it's probably a good thing because she was a nutcake, but her name was Nicole Nasser, And she was Triple H's publicist and Chris Jericho's publicist because she had a crush on Chris Jericho, which most girls do. Mm -hmm. And my manager at the time, Randy James, was good friends with Nicole, and he said, you need a publicist after the show, you need to take on a publicist. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I didn't know what a publicist was. And it just so happened that she was also representing Rick. So I went to New York to do a tea or a morning show called cold pizza. We talked about this. I think so.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I called, it, yep, yeah, briefly, I yep, called
3: yep. it morning pizza and you corrected me. called it cold.
1: It's yes, cold pizza. Yes. Was it cold pizza? Yeah.
3: Yeah. On ESPN. Yep. Or ESPN2, whatever it is, yep. Okay,
1: so we, he and I were in the green room, and I had met him at a show that I went to with Rick in Anaheim, where I thought to myself, I'm going to go up to him and say hi and introduce myself. And um, and he had told me backstage. He goes, "Hey man, I've seen you in all the media and everything. I've seen a few of your shows. I thought that I'm like a fucking Rick Flair, I've seen a couple of my shows." And he's acknowledging that I even exist. You know, that, that's how you're thinking when you're a when you're a fan, right? Yep. So when I see him in the green room of um, Cold Pizza, he gets up. He's got this big shitty grin on his face, and he goes, "How you doing, man?" I said, "Good." And I said, "Uh," and I think we kind of knew. I don't think he knew, but I think I knew. Because I knew that Nicole represented Triple H and all those guys, so I kind of put the two and two together, right? So I figured he must be here because Nicole booked him here, and he, she booked me here as well, Yep. if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. he just said to me, hey, man, I'm going to be in L.A. Um, on this date, this date, this date. Um, here's my number. Give me a call. Or I don't know who gave who whose number, but maybe you took my number but we ended up meeting up in Santa Monica and his wife had been out and I met her. And it was weird because when we got in the limousine, he came out and, and he we were to, to one night. She got in the limousine. With him, and he said, honey, this is Evan Marriott. And you know, in, in Joe millionaire, or, excuse me, in Ric Flair fashion, he was like, you know, he's Joe and he starts trying to, to sell or trying to, Put me over. I was, you know, Joe Millionaire. You know, got got money because he's all about everything's about money and this that, and the other. And I'm look at him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's kind of rolling her eyes, right? She, she was a nice lady, but you could tell she was over it at this point. After whatever, we went out, had a good, got a good meal, came back, went to the bar in the hotel. He told me he goes, she's leaving in the morning. She's going to go back to Charlotte. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm I'm not doing anything. I'm going to go back home. And I was living down here in San Clemente. And he goes, he goes, man, he goes, if you want to go out a couple nights, and I said, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to I have to fucking come up here. I'll have to get a room because I'm not going to drive back and forth. This is a fucking hour and a half, two hours. So um, i would got a room for a couple nights at the Viceroy, and we went out and drank and had a good time. And I was pinching myself the whole time because I'm thinking, this is Ric Flair, and he, you know, he's, he's, and he, and, and here's the thing. it, He didn't get out of control. He didn't put on the robe. He didn't do any of that shit. I mean, he just was very... Maybe I just caught him at a an odd time, but he was very reserved. And I mean, we drank a lot. I will say that. But he wasn't pressing me to drink a kamikaze that I hear in all these interviews. He wasn't... We sat out by the pool. Um, I grossed him the fuck out. He was a good... Rick, I mean, it's not a Ric Flair story. It's a me story. But I grossed him the fuck out. There was a really... This girl was... Pretty, she was easy on the eyes. He, all of her friends were. We were out by the pool, and I don't know how we got talking to him or where it got started. But she said she her back. She had the spot on her back that hurt. Well, come to find out, she had. You ready? For, you ready to be grossed out, John? yeah <laughs> She said that she goes. We were talking, and I don't even know where it came up. I swear this is where I draw a blank. But she goes. She goes, oh, my God, I got this spot. And she goes, I've got, like, a bump here, and it kind of hurts. And I looked, and I'm like, well, it's a fucking gigantic blackhead. And Rick is is sitting right there. She goes, it is? I'm like, yeah, you ought to see this thing. And her friend comes around, and she's like, oh, my God. And this girl's hot as shit, and she's just got this blackhead on her back. And I said, look, I'll get it. Just looking at me like, you're going to pop this girl's blackhead right in front of me? (laughs) I'm I'm like, yeah, why not? Fuck it. You know, it's like, and, and, and and, and so I did, I fucking, I, this girl, this fucking, and she, I remember, I can see her face right now. She had blue eyes, black and dark hair, and she was just like hotter than donut grease. And I'm, and she had this, she had this fucking blackhead on her back. And, uh, yeah, I popped her, fuck this girl's blackhead. and it was fucking, I mean, it was just nabbing the shit that came out of that fucking blackhead was just gross. and and I've got it all over my fingernail and I'm like, um, it was, dude, and Rick's looking at me like, <laughs> he's looking at me like, dude, I've seen a lot of shit in my day, but I've never seen that. I'm like, glad I could shock you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm trying to one up Ric Flair by, you know, getting a girl, and I end up getting her over here, and I'm popping pimples on her back, right?
3: Damn. But, I yeah, mean, those gross. are just, oh. yeah,
1: I mean, but, you know, it was just, you know, and she's like, oh, my God, it feels so good. I'm like, yeah, well. Yeah, anyway, and, and, yeah, it's just, Little shit like that, little
3: moments like that, that. <laughs> it
1: just, it's just crazy.
3: Yeah, and I remember um, we had talked about he had shoulder surgery and you were helping him out. And
1: <clears throat> Yeah, know. he had. Uh, I think. <laughs> John, I think about the time he saw me pop that girl's black head, I thought he was like, well, probably nothing this guy won't do. Yeah. So um, <laughs> he just. No, he did. He had had uh, shoulder surgery and. Man, I, I really wish I could. Could I mean he just kind of looked over. I mean, I wish I could be. I, I remember more details about how it even came to pass, but it was basically just him saying to me, "Hey, I, I can't because cause a lot of the guys, you know, you, <laughs> you, 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 you inject it into your butt cheek. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of good. Yeah. A lot of guys do sight injections. They'll inject it into their thigh or their quad or their whatever. But he just said, "Hey, man, can I ask you?" you know, I don't even, I mean, honestly, I don't even think he had any reservations about asking me just goes, Hey man, can I, can I ask you a favor? I said, yeah, go ahead. What's up. And he said, I'm, I'm just, I can't reach back there. There's no way I'll be able to hold. It wasn't about reaching. it was holding his arm back that long because once you, once you get, (laughs) I'm sorry, John. I mean, I, I mean, I know this doesn't, once you get, once you get, once you stick yourself, you actually have to hold your arm there because you gotta just you gotta you gotta you gotta force the plunger down. I mean that's, that's just how it is. So it's it's a one Mississippi, two Mississippi. It's long enough. To, if you've got shoulder issues, it probably wouldn't feel too good, right? Right. So he just said, hey, can you stick me? Because I don't think I can I can hold the syringe back there that long or whatever. He said, and I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And that's I mean, and it was it was just odd because we get back to his room and he had the. Uh, what do you? Call, I've got one over here. What do you call the thing? The the briefcase. The the uh, the attaché case. Nah, yeah, but it's the, the the the. I've got one. I'm looking right at it, but I can't. I've got one right here, and I can't. What is what is it called? It's the uh, the guys used to keep the belt in it. And they're they're the old school dudes. Um, and it would come to me anyway. I walked in, and <clears throat> there it was uh, he had a he had this um. He had this uh, briefcase there, and it was open, actually, and it, and it had, I think it had red boots in it, because I remember walking in the room thinking, shit, man, there's a there's fucking briefcase all those old school dudes, you know, have, and he went and got his shit, he loaded up all his gear on his own and just handed me the syringe. I mean, he did it all himself, and um, he just loaded it for me and said, hey, man, and pulled his drawers down and one cheek, and I sat down in the bed and thumped it in there like a dart, and uh, that was it. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's almost crazy to think about. I'm this 11 year old kid in Scoping North with my father in 19, God knows what, uh, 1970, or excuse 1985, you know, and and looking at this guy, and all of a sudden I'm giving him DECA in a room in, in
3: saying, It's just crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, you never would have thought, like, wow, I'm going to be doing that with Ric Flair, and you had no reservations on it either. No, I just, I mean,
1: I, and I, I'm more flattered that he thought that he could, because he knew that I knew, he knew that I knew Horseshoe, Luther Reigns. He knew that I knew or had, because he had seen me interact with John Cena backstage, you know, he, he was standing right there when I was talking with John about Ed Connors and, you know, those guys. He, he saw me interacting with those guys. Mm-hmm. So I think he just thought, okay, he's not—he's—he's he's not just some mark. He's—he's, he's, you know, he's not maybe one of us, but he's—he's—he's he's, he's been around. He knows what's going on. He knows what the deal is. And I was flattered to think that he would ask me, even though it was an illegal drug.
3: Right. <laughs> yep. Gotcha. Steel Halliburton. Halliburton. Yeah. That's it. It's a Halliburton.
1: It's a Halliburton.
3: Yeah. But that's uh, interesting. Are you still friendly with the Nature Boy? You guys still talk?
1: I, I mean I have not talked to him. Um uh, I'll give you another story. He called me one morning, uh, probably a couple days after this incident. I'd been with him. I had been around him having dinner with him. I'd been out to a club with a girl that I was dating. Well, I told you about that in the uh in the other interview with mm-hmm. my, my yes. girlfriend Tom yep. Lisa. Yep. Well, I had come back home to San Clemente and I was here and he called one morning, early one morning <clears throat> and I told Tom this, I haven't told anybody this, but he called me and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, uh, uh nothing. I think I was just hanging was having breakfast at my place. And he goes, uh, I said, what are you doing? He goes, I just took a walk on the beach. I said, nice. And I said, what, uh, what are you going to do today? And he goes, uh, he goes, I don't know. He goes, I'm just kind of, I don't know. I, I, he I, he was just kind of, he was weird. He was real quiet. And then out of nowhere, he said to me, he goes, hey, man, I just I want to tell you something. And I said, what's that? And he goes, I just want to thank you. For what? And he said, just for being a really good friend. And I remember, John, I remember thinking to myself, that's the dumbest fucking thing anyone could ever think to ever say to me after a week of just drinking. I gave you a shot and I popped a blackhead on some girl's back. <laughs> and we actually almost got into a little fight in the one night. Um, that's a whole nother story. And I'm like, that's just the most random thing for somebody to say to somebody. And I talked to I talked to his ex, Tiffany, once in a while, and I like Rick. I like Rick. Rick was never anything but nice to me. But it was just a random thing to say to somebody. And I just think he was just I, – I, he wasn't drunk, but I think he was just – he was going through a lot of shit around that time, a lot of shit. And so his telling me that he was thanking me for being such a good friend I'll take it serious because he was telling me maybe meant it at the time, but I couldn't figure out why because I'd known the guy for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Does yep. that make sense? Yep, absolutely. So, um, but I have nothing bad to say about the guy. Um, I got several other stories that, you know, just of stuff that random people would like, but it's just they don't mean anything. Um, he never did anything to me he was nothing but respectful and nice to me. And, um, I got to meet, you know, I want to say a hero, but I got to meet somebody from my childhood. I'll tell you one of the nicest guys I ever met. And this kind of goes along with, um uh, something that happened this week. Cause he retired was one of the nicest,
3: uh,
1: performers I ever met was, uh, the undertaker.
3: Oh, wow! when did you meet him?
1: I met him at, re- at the, uh, WrestleMania party. Um, was WrestleMania twenty-five? When were they in LA? Twenty-five? Because they were in LA in two thousand and five, I think. WrestleMania 21. twenty-one. 21. I was only four, four years off.
4: <laughs>
1: I um was at the bar, and he was at the bar, and he just was just a nice guy. I don't remember the. I don't, we were just talking about shit. He had just had a birthday. I remember that. And I think he was turning, he was in his thirties at that time. He turned 37 or 38. So, so I made some comment about him being an old man, being a joke. And he laughed and I remember him laughing, looking at me, going, easy now, easy, you're laughing, <laughs> okay, and, and I thought it was funny, because I'm six, like I said, I'm six, four, six, five, depending on the, depending on the, the <laughs> depending on the, on the, uh, on the insole, and I'm standing there at the, at the, at the bar, and he just kind of, he kind of looks over, and he goes, he goes, you're, you're a. You're a big boy," he goes. "What do you what do you do?" And I said, "Well, I was I did a thing for Fox because he didn't know he didn't know, and you know he didn't put two and two together." I said, "I said I'm just here. I did a show for Fox." He goes, "Oh, what was it?" I told him. He goes, "Oh yeah," he goes, "I I heard of that." He didn't say he saw it. He didn't say he watched it. Didn't say anything. He just said I heard of that. And he was just a nice guy, you know. We just talked about shit. I mean, you know, it was it was just it was uncomfortable conversation that was kind of forced. But he wasn't uncomfortable, and I was. Do, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <clears throat> he was willing to sit there and just gab with me, and no one was bothering me. It was just him and I. It was it was pretty crowded, but it was just him and I bellied up to the bar. I'll never forget it. Um, and I had another experience at the same moment. Uh, somebody came up to him and said, I don't remember what he asked him, but he asked him something, and I, I said to him, I said, uh, how you doing? My name's Evan. And the guy looked at me, and he goes, do I know you? Am I talking to you? And I said, no. I said, this was introducing myself. And uh, he goes, all right. And he turned around and kept talking to Mark and he walked away and Mark turned around and he goes, hey, don't worry about him. He just he gets that way. <clears throat> and it was Stone Cold. Oh, wow. And to this day, if I saw Stone Cold, I'd walk right up to him and smack him in his fucking face.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <clears throat> but I'm just I'm just messing. You know what's interesting um as far as like UPW and your wrestling you actually do return speaking of like Hall and Nash and some like some guys but do you remember being the referee for that overload show as well when it was I think it was Tom Howard and Christopher Daniels like, it, like obviously against Hall and Nash but you're the referee do you remember that?
1: I do remember that and I remember starting the match not ringing the bell and Hall looking at me going are you going to ring the bell? And I'm like, yeah, I'll
4: ring the bell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I remember out of that. Hall looked at me and he goes, well, are you going to ring the bell? And I'm like, yeah, I guess it'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? And that was that. that.
3: That's great. Sarcastic bastard. That's great. Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't ring the bell to get the match started at all. And he called me on it.
3: Yeah. You know, I mentioned to Rick, I was like, Rick, um, you know, remembering that matchup, I was like, do you think he's a little tall to be like a referee? He's like, I know, I know, but it was a special guest referee gimmick, blah, blah. I saw it was funny. He's like, he's probably the tallest referee of all time. Well, the,
1: the funny thing is I was supposed to be – did he tell you I was supposed to be Tom's partner?
3: No, no, didn't know that.
1: Yeah, I was supposed to be Tom's partner. And, um, again, it was the – it was, it was exact, again, when I had, was under contract with Fox – this is just a small indie UPW show, and I made a mention to um, Missy Halpern, who was head of talent relations. I said, I'm going to wrestle in this thing. She goes, what are you going to do? And I, I made the mistake, John, of telling these guys at Fox too much because I was around them all the time. So I said, I'm going to be wrestling in the show. She goes, I'm sorry, what did you say you're going to be doing? I said, I'm going to be wrestling in a show down in Huntington Beach at the Galaxy. Um, and she goes, "I'm don't." she goes, I'm going to have to get back with you on that. Like they kept me under a thumb, John. They kept me under a thumb. they wouldn't let you, yeah, they wouldn't yep. let me, and I, so I went back and i said I said, Rick, they're not going to let me. It's funny that he didn't bring that up because that was I was supposed to be Rick, I was supposed to be Tom's partner and and that's another thing that I regret i should i would have been I could have been in there with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, you know, I could have you know I could have taken the knees from Kevin or I could have taken the elbow from Kevin in the corner, and I could have said that I said that I did that and, not anymore. A lot of stuff that I should have done and just asked for forgiveness later. Does that make sense, John?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, hundred percent. And easier to do, ask
3: for forgiveness than permission. Yep. Right. And I
1: didn't do it because I was trying to be the good, uh, trying to be the good talent. The you know, and I didn't know any better. If I knew now, if I knew then what I knew now about how those people are, because when it was over, it was over, John. When it was over, I they literally took my Lot passed. They, they, um, and I'm I bitter over it. I'm just saying, I, I, they just cut me off like I'd meant nothing to them when it was over. And had I known that, because I thought it was going to go on forever, so I was trying to be loyal to them. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was going to go on forever, but you just think, you don't, you don't know. You just think, oh, well, you'll go on. And you'll yeah, I would go to the food court at the Fox and people would come up and go, Hey, you know, congratulations on the show and stuff like that. And you you kind of you kinda walked around with your chest puffed up because you felt good about yourself, you know what I mean? And then out of nowhere they just nick you.
3: Not important to them anymore. Yeah, that's kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So but it is what it is, man. So as far as you know, like the wrestling career. Do you kind of regret getting out of it? Like, did, did you think like maybe you could have lasted? Cause Rick always says you were one of the five stars that he thinks could have been huge. And, you know, you guys, great size, you got charisma, you got the look. Do you believe Rick when he says that? And do you think you should have stayed in wrestling?
1: Um, I think I miss wrestling by 15 to 20 years. I think I'm probably well that's a tough one John because I absolutely can't stand the product today. Absolutely can't stand it. And I and I have not watched one wrestling program all the way through for at least 15 years. I haven't watched literally I I I got a little excited when um the NWA Power started Mm Yep. Um, And they ousted Jim Cornette for his comment or whatever he said. Remember he was a commentator? Yeah, the Ethiopian joke. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, And that kind of ended that. Um, But I I, would have fit better back if I was, uh, if I had come along about 15 to 20 years earlier, I would have fit better. And I probably being that I could have come in on the heels of John Cena and that – because John Cena was a graduate of, of – I say a graduate, that's kind of stupid. But he was a product of, of Rick Bassman's uh, training, and then he went on to UPW. Uh, it's kind of UPW, uh, OVW, I mean. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I was right on the heels of that. So it would have been John Cena in OVW for a year or two, and then I would have come in after that. So I would have gotten those years. But I, I like I said, I, I heard horror stories about you know Vince McMahon and when the WrestleMania came around after um in two thousand three, March two thousand three, and I in uh and and uh Shane had reached out to me about doing a program at WrestleMania, um yeah, I mean, uh, it was something he had mentioned that he wanted me to do an angle with uh, Trish Stratus, and I didn't. I wasn't real wild about it. I thought, you know, I'm. I'm not. He wanted me to, on a on a on a Raw program, start start. Uh, you know, I slap her, and it starts a storyline. You know, and then and then it builds up to WrestleMania, and I just I wasn't wild about that, and I just said I, I just. I've been on this program where I'm getting shit thrown at me at a motocross <laughs> event hmm. in Anaheim, and people are kind of like, I you know, on the
4: sixth that was, like, you know, me and to a
1: on national television just to do a program at WrestleMania. And I've given him some other ideas that I had um, for that program. But, um, but that's about the only thing that, that, you know, it was just, it was a different, it was turning into a different wrestling than I was used to at that time. And, yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes I regret not doing stuff, but I, do I think I would have been able to to, to hang with those guys and, and take I'm, – I'm not good with authority, John, so hmm. I don't know if I would have been too good with Vince McMahon telling me dub or telling me I'm, you know, not worth
3: – you know, whatever he
1: did. I just – I would hear horror stories about that guy,
3: and I was never real wild
1: about going to WWE anyway.
3: So there was talks, though. So Vince or really Shane, they, you know, they did want you. So there was actually some preliminary talks about using you. Ed Bonners
1: had come to me and said, because I don't know why I was talking to Shane, but Ed had come to me and said that Shane had a, had approached him uh, knowing, because because when I had started with Rick, uh, Ed had told Shane, uh, when he gotten back to me, Ed had told Shane that he had, um, uh, had a guy that was going down to to wrestle or to train with Rick, you know, and then, and then like, <clears throat> Ed told uh, Ed told Shane, hey, that guy that I had going down there that I told you about, where well, he has his own show on Fox, and that's kind of where that started. And Ed had called me and said, hey, I told Shane about you. He knew that you would trained with Rick back in 2000 or whatever that was. And he said, uh, you know, and now they they thought, well, shit, you know, we could we could run we could use him in a storyline, you know, because of uh, the whole Joe Millionaire thing with Fox. And so uh, one day I just I got a call out of nowhere, and this was back in the day when you had a cell phone. If it, whatever number came up, you answered it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like today where you see a number you don't recognize and you just let it go to voicemail. I answered that fucker right, and um, and it was Shane, and and that was the that was the storyline that he pitched to me, was that I slapped you know, Trish Stratus and, you know, on a, on a, on a raw show or a thunder or you or are not a thunder, but a uh, SmackDown show. And, um and I just said, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I like that. And I said, well, here's you know, here's what I have had in mind, Shane. And I don't know if you would go with this. I'm like, but um I'm a new, I'm a millionaire. I'm, I'm, I'm thought of as a millionaire. And the whole show, the whole show for Joe Millionaire was teaching me how to dress well and how to how to which fork to use when I'm out, you know, because there's 18 forks and, you know, and 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 how to live like a millionaire. And I said, uh, I said, uh, why don't you have uh, the kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, jet flying, you know? And I said, you know, why don't you have Ric Flair take me under his wing and show me how to be a, a, a real millionaire? And, and and I think when I said that kind of light bulb went off and he goes "God, that's, I'm, that's actually a really really good idea and I said okay and then it was just me again doing what I was told to do I presented it to Fox or I presented it to my friend Missy who was the head of talent relations over there and she said I don't think that that's going to be a fit now that's odd now because in 2020 Fox is all up WWE's ass right Mm-hmm. big time yep. now, now isn't that hilarious how that, that kind of goes full circle Yeah, it just it just yeah. I mean, it's at the time she said, I don't I don't think our standards and practices are going to go with that. And I said, all right, whatever. And again, we go right back to should have asked for forgiveness instead of uh, instead of permission. I mean, that's just you know. And I and I because here's the thing, you know, every WrestleMania they do a Hall of Fame and they have a special I say wing uh, for you know the celebrities that have been involved with WrestleMania and. When you have the the Drew Carey's or you have the Pete Rose or you have, you know, whoever else, uh, you know, um, I, if if I had worked a match at WrestleMania, I would have been the one TV personality that could have probably worked a real match. Right. Yeah. Hundred percent. And I could have. I mean, no telling. I mean, it would just. I don't know. Those are the regrets that I have. Those are the regrets that I have. That I watch. You know, if I see something on the internet now, or I see people talking about it on YouTube where they talk about WrestleMania, or I see Jim Cornette, you know, I know Jim Cornette is abrasive to a lot of people, but I I listen to his podcast, you know, and I, and I, because I I grew up with the guy and I'm, you know, and I know he's nuttier than a squirrel turd, (laughs) but I, but I, but I grew up watching the guy and I do kind of respect his views on things. And, um, he said some South things about Rick that I don't really appreciate, but, but still, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I think, man, I could have been one of those guys that Rick would, have, or that Jim would have said, "Hey, remember that guy? He actually showed me something, you know." But it, it's gone
3: now. It's gone, and it'll never come back. And I'm good with it. Yeah, Rick and Corny do not get along. That is, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, he buried, you know, Jim buried the fuck out of him in one interview. I'm like, Jesus, Jim.
1: What the fuck did he do to you? I'm mean, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, well, we can, yeah, you know, dial that back a notch, but it is what it is. I mean, people are always gonna, you know, especially in that industry. You know, Jim's got more problems with people than he does than he likes them. So. Yes. Yep. Yeah, there's a
3: small group of people that that guy likes. And, yes. Yeah, there's, uh, it's it's now it's even less with all this other stuff going on. But yes, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just um, I listen to him. I listen to Jim Ross. Um, I li- I'll listen to uh, Bruce Pritchard, But I, the thing about Bruce Pritchard is Bruce Pritchard's still kayfabe. I mean, I he's he's still. You ask him a question to me when I hear him in interviews, he still sounds bull. Like I just like you know Richard. Uh, I mean, uh, just quit bullshitness. You know, mm-hmm. just, you know.
3: I don't know. He's a worker's worker for sure. He's working he, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, to the, still to this day. Um, yeah, I do it. I do a, another show with his brother, Doctor Tom, and Doctor Tom even says his brother is a worker. So I mean, you know, it, it's out there. Tom knows. says that. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sure.
1: And I don't even know the guy. And I like I like listening to to Bruce. I do. I I like listening listen to Bruce Pritchard, but I but I just I just I I I I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm sometimes I just want to go. Come on, man. Come on, Bruce. This this is just. Is talk to us like we, you know, the the, the days of kayfabe over. Just
3: give it to us straight, you know. Yep. Hey, that's part of his allure, part of his charm. I think. Right. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Now, as mm-hmm. we hit hit the wind down, we start winding it down, head towards the finish. As far as you know, we we talked about kind of current wrestling, and and do you watch AEW at all? I mean, do you watch? WWE? Yeah. I know you said you can't get through a show. Do have you watched any re- current wrestling? I watched
1: <clears throat> I watched one episode and I didn't even watch that all the way through when Diamond Dallas Page was on. hmm Yeah. And
3: uh Oddly enough called Bash at the Beach, yep. <clears throat> yeah. And uh
1: I absolutely defawed when he ran into that I don't even know who, I don't even know who the characters are, but he ran into the guy and he stumbled backwards like his knees were given out. Did you see that? Mhm. Yep. Yeah, couldn't happen to be a better guy. Not a DDP fan. Not a DDP fan. Oh, Not man. a DDP fan. And 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 <clears throat> so you want to hear a good DDP story?
3: Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> so so this goes back to Deborah Michelli. Um, love Deborah. You've interviewed Deborah. We talked about her earlier. Yep. I mean, I just, we just get along. We, we, we fall. I mean, we can make each other laugh. I've laughed so hard around Deborah that I've literally gotten a stomachache. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, she just, she brings that out in me. And one night, and this was right after the show, she says, <clears throat> uh, Ev, she calls me Ev, Ev. She goes, Ev, I'm uh, meeting, uh, Dally. Cause I guess they call him Dally. She goes, I'm meeting Dally. And uh, Kimberly uh, at the Palms in uh, Hollywood, do you want to go? I said, "Uh, yeah. And this is, like I said, I've already done the show. Um, You know, this is, she would actually know where this was. And I said, yeah, of course, because I'd never met the guy before. So I pick her up. We go over there. We meet him at the Palms off of uh, Santa Monica Boulevard. And we sit down. Have you ever been to the Palms? Have you ever been to you have been to Hollywood, right? Or West no. Hollywood, Yeah. Hollywood no. Okay. Nope. So I meet them at the Palms and I guess out of nowhere, I'm trying to just I'm not you know, I'm not talking about wrestling, I'm not doing any of that. I'm not you know, I'm I'm actually trying to talk to them about normal real world shit, like, you know, where you guys living now, you know, what you know or not even now, like where you guys live and you know what have you been doing lately and shit like that. I don't know what Deborah has said to them about me or what you know, whatever. And <clears throat> obviously she's primed. So he says he starts in on me like, you know, bro, bro, you got to synergize. You got to take your aggression. And I'm thinking my aggression. You got to take your aggression. You got to synergize. You got to you got to harness it. You got to pull it in. You got to do this, bro. And I'm like, what? What the fuck? And I'm looking at. It. I'm looking at Deborah like what what is he talking about like like just out of nowhere he's trying to like mentor me and tell me I got to synergize and I'm like what the fuck synergize so he after dinner and I'm I'm sitting there going okay this guy's just talked you know tried to teach me about you know bringing my aggression down and and being mellow and and just kind of harnessing my whatever. I I don't even know what the fuck he was saying. I mean, it was just ridiculous, right? So we go out to the valet and I give the valet guy my ticket. Dallas gives him his ticket. My car comes up and I get in the car. And as I'm getting in the car, Deborah's getting in the other side. I hear Dallas just reaming the valet, bro. Yo, I gave you my ticket. Where's my car? Where? Yeah, what? What the? What the fuck, bro? Where? I mean, just <laughs> giving it to this guy,
3: and I'm
4: I'm
1: looking at him. And I'm like,
4: dude, we gave the guy the ticket at the same time.
1: Like, like your car's coming. Like, you just sat there and gave me a lecture for a fucking hour and a half. I wanted to fucking take the butter knife and dig out my fucking eyeballs or stab <laughs> my ears. I'm like, you just gave me this lecture on synergizing and. You know, and fucking being, and and you're fucking reaming the valet guy. Like, okay, whatever. So that was my first. That was the first interaction, and I'm thinking, all right, let's get that guy right? So we pull away, and I say something to Deborah about. It. I'm like, what What is this guy's deal? Like, he's fucking losing it on the valet, right? So anyway, so I was dating a, another girl. Uh, I that I wasn't dating Deborah, but I was. That wasn't dating Deborah at all. We were just friends. But I was dating a girl from Virginia Beach that had come to visit me uh, here in L.A. And I don't even know how I had talked to Dallas. And this is what's going to kill this story. I don't know where our connection was, but he was doing a one-man show in Hollywood. Yes, I said it, a one-man show. And I don't even know what the fuck it was about because we never made it. Because he asked Deborah, he got my number from Deborah because he wanted me to come to his one-man show in Hollywood. So he calls me, I think he got it from her, because he calls me and he goes, he goes, bro, I want you to come to the show I'm doing. He goes, I'd really like to have you here. And I'm like, well, that's because my girlfriend, her and her twin sister used to watch WCW and they'd love to meet you. He goes, great. Come to the show, bro. I said, okay, great. I'll come to the show. So she's all excited. She gets down here to San Clemente, and I said, I got a surprise for you. We're going to go up, and we're going to see Diamond Dallas Page's one-man show. And she goes, <clears throat> what is it about? I said, I have no fucking idea, but he's doing a one-man show. Who knows? So this is before iPhones. This is before Google Maps, all that shit, right, John? hmm We're heading up there, and I don't know where to go. I don't know where this theater is. So I call him and I said, "Hey, where's the show?" And he goes, "Where's the theater?" And he goes, "Oh, it's off so and so. You make it right on so and so. You make it left." And this guy's not even from LA. He's from Atlanta, or he's from Georgia somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. I don't even know where the fuck. Like so, asking directions from a a city he's never even been in. So I get lost. I call him back and I go, "Hey, dude, I don't know where we are. What, what street was it again?" He goes, "Bro." You go here, you go there, you go right, da, 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 da He goes, Fuck and he hangs up. And I'm like, All right, we go here, we go there. And she's in the car with me. I had to call him back, John, and I had to go, I, hey man, I don't mean to bother you again, but I'm fucking lost. Where is this? He goes, Bro, you can't fucking make it. Fuck you. And he hangs up.
4: Oh, that my was my
1: that was my Diamond Dallas Page experience. And I I never talked us, to him since? Well, so, so wait a minute. So, and I looked over at her and I said, Hey, Angela, I'm like, it was the girl I'm, seeing. I'm saying, so I said, I, I, he just, the fucker just hung up on me. Cause I was asking him cause he was giving me shitty directions. So I said, i I, I guess I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to get there. So we're, I guess we're not going to see this. So she's bummed out as shit. Right. Mm-hmm. And we, we actually end up going to a hotel I said, well, we're up here in LA. I'm not going to drive all the way back home. Let's make this, you know, a good night. So we went and got a, a hotel room and actually had a pretty good time up there the rest of the weekend. But it's weird because I ended up doing a thing for a company called pro sports NVP, which is they're almost like, um, what, what is the, the thing they do for the troops? The, uh, the, the, um, Oh God damn it! What's it called, John? Tribute um, for the troops? Yeah, I not tribute for the troops. It's something else. It's uh, where the they send celebrities over. But anyway, oh the,
3: the, USO tour. USO,
1: yeah, yeah, they're like they're like USO's competitor. It's called Pro Sports MVP, and they get NASCAR uh, drivers. They get you know in, uh, uh, MLB pitch you know the players. They get and they just they just ask. They do sports stuff but they just picked me out of the group and said, "Hey man, we know you're a reality guy. Do you want to go on some trips to Kuwait and uh, you know, Bosnia?" And for the truth, I'm like, "Yeah, I'll do that all day
4: long, right?" Mhm.
1: So I end up being um, I end up being pretty good friends with uh, this guy Brian Lee that works for Pro Sports MVP. and he goes uh, and he goes, "Hey, he goes, "I was just on a trip. We hired we we asked this guy Diamond Dallas Page to go from WCW, and he had asked who had gone on these trips." And we told him we we mentioned your name, and he goes, "Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, I know that guy. We went on, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. We're real good friends." And and I told Brian, I said, "Brian, we're not like real. I mean, he he says I'm a real good friend of his. Like the fucker hung up on me. Like I'm not a good friend of his. So it so it's funny because it, 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 it's it's it, I had I didn't have good experiences with that guy when I was around him. Then the guy hangs up on me, right? And then I see that he does the DDP yoga, which I think is bitching. I think it's fucking bitching, John. Mm-hmm. The good, what he's done with Jake, what he's done with Scott Hall, I just think is – I mean, especially what he's done with Scott Hall. Well, I'm not, I mean, Jake too. But, I mean, I because mean, these, these are two poor souls that were, like, you know, at the point of no return, right? And I, they seem to have turned their life around. But I was listening to a podcast where uh, uh, Mark Madden was doing an interview. Did you ever hear that interview with with uh, Rick Flair? I'm
3: trying to think which one because I've heard Mark talk to Rick of uh, uh, quite a few times actually.
1: Rick, Mark, I I just was listening to the Rick Flair podcast with. Uh,
3: oh, the Rick! Oh, oh, it's Flair. He's got him on as a guy. Yeah,
1: Flair's got Mark Madden okay. On with. Uh, okay fuck what's the guy's name that does his stuff uh conrad conrad yeah yep yep and um and conrad does a great job um (laughs) mark madden on (laughs) listen to this guy and mark madden is just he he goes i couldn't help it john mark madden is talking about ddp and I read the comments after seeing that or viewing the podcast on, on YouTube. I read the comments of all the people that were, like, telling Mark Madden he was a piece of shit for shitting on DDP. And it was heartbreaking because I'm going, he's right. Like, Mark Madden, everything Mark Madden said about DDP is absolutely right. Like, everyone, everyone was shitting on Mark Madden for, like, talking shit on DDP. but I'm like, the guy's so self-absorbed, it's fucking retarded. Like, everything Mark Madden said about him is everything I witnessed. Everything. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Mark Madden calls him D.D. me instead of D.D.P. And he called him D.D. me, and I'm like going, yeah. <laughs> like, I witnessed him at the palms talking to telling me to synergize and harness my fucking aggression, and I've never even been around the guy. Like, he didn't know <laughs> if I was... He Literally, like, he didn't know if I was like some you know Buddhist monk or a fucking or, or a goddamn UFC fighter, he didn't know who the fuck I was. He didn't know what my personality was, and he's preaching to me about synergizing, and then he goes out and rips the fucking valet a new asshole because his car didn't come up quick enough, and I mean yelling at the guy. So I'm listening to this interview with Mark Madden and Ric Flair, and I always refer back to that because I go, these people that 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 like were t- you know telling Mark he was a piece of shit for shitting on DDP. I'm like. Mark was telling the truth. Like mm. he's he's a total fucking he's. A, I mean, I don't know how he is now. And time changes people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just know back in 2003, he was a cocksucker. He was a total. And I would tell him to this day. And back when 2004 and five, when my girlfriend were trying to go up there and 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 and, and support him, he was a total cocksucker to me. Now, did he see the light and change? You know, I hope so, because you can't go through life being fucking, you know, being that way. But everything Mark Madden said about it was absolutely 100% 100 true. Because I I experienced it, you know. Yeah. But, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy, you know. But, uh, yeah, that's that's my DDP. That's my DDP stuff. I love it. You get it? <laughs> and, and it's funny because even the guy, the, even the guy, even the guy with Pro Sports MVP, I don't mean to throw him under the bus, but he goes, dude. He goes when we were done with that tour, he goes, I couldn't get. He goes, that guy was. He goes every. He goes we were. He had to. He he goes. He would not shut up. He had an opinion about everything. He goes. We couldn't wait to get him off that fucking tour. He goes. We could not <laughs> wait to land in America to go see you, Diamond. See you, see you, dude. We will see you.
3: <laughs> i'm thinking yeah dude this is how yep now you've given us a great story well stories on Rick Flea. you gave us good undertaker stuff good ddp stuff good stuff uh, about rick bassman and upw but what you know what do you say about yourself like what's kind of the lasting legacy or the stamp of you wrestling wise acting wise reality tv joe millionaire you the the construction worker like what would you say you know if the door's shut people are looking back on you what would they say about evan marion um i don't know what
1: they would say about me john because no one knows me that's that's the thing i mean i don't mean to i don't mean to to squash your question like that but no one knows me i mean if you read stuff about me, or you see comments about me, people—all I've ever known is all the only thing I've ever read, or the only thing I've ever, you know, uh, it's just people that uh, I've—I <clears throat> don't think people can form an opinion about me because they don't. I've never given them the reason. I was smart enough early on to not—I mean, like Rick said, I think in the interview, and I, I, is that I don't do a lot of interviews. I did it. I did this one with you because because you, you helped Rick with his and I, 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 you know, I, I felt, you know, I don't do this often. I do one every eight years. Right.
3: Right. Yep.
1: Um, I don't know. I sure as hell hope that no one looks at me and goes, Evan was this great reality show guy, because that's sure as hell not a banner to fly up, uh, you know, around and go, Hey man, I'm this great person because I was on a reality show. Um. um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that, John. I mean, I really don't. I don't mean, I don't mean to, I don't mean to squash your, your question. I just don't know how, I guess to get to know me. Uh, I don't know. I, there's, I'm sure there's there's women out there that would like to see me dead and there's men out there that, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't, I mean, that's the, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to answer that because, you know, I, uh, I think (laughs) this is really raw. This is really raw, and this is really fucked up to say, but I guess Tony Montana said it best. I never fucked over anybody that didn't have it coming to him. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yep. I I I mean I I I don't mean to steal one from the great, you know, one of the greatest, but I, I never I never fucked over anybody that didn't have it coming to him. And no one ever uses that line. It's a great you ever, line. You yeah. ever
3: notice that? that yeah. have heard that in a of long all, time. Yeah. Of, 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 of all the of all of the
1: things that people, of all the things that people take from that the, from that movie, it's hey, hello to my little friend," mm-hmm. right? Yep. And I want everything. You know, what is it? I want I want the world and everything in it. Or what
3: is it? I want the world. What is that? I want the.
1: What is? Isn't it? That I, want I want
3: the world there? and everything in it.
1: Is it almost all what's wrong? But no one ever says I never fucked over anybody. I didn't have it coming to him. And I don't even I'm not even a big fan of that movie, but that just sticks out in my head. I yeah. try to I try to Trump do right by. Sense. I just try to do right by, and I'm not even a big fan of the movie. But I just do, I try to do right by people, man. I, you know, I, I'm a sucker for a sad story. Um, I'm a fan of the underdog. If you're on top you better be the undertaker because he's a nice motherfucker. I mean, really, really nice. He talked to a guy that he didn't have to give a second fucking look at. And he sat right there and I mean, pulled the conversation out of me. I mean, that's what I'm talking about, John. I mean, I said it to a, I said it, I said it, I said it last night. A guy posted something um, on Facebook about, you know, how sad it is. And, you know, the undertaker's retiring now. And I said, uh, I said, well, you know, or he, what what did he say? He said uh, he said uh he gave everything he had to the business. I kinda have to read it, but I mean I, I, I told him I said to a nicer guy. I mean he just he's just a great guy. Undertaker was a great guy.
3: And uh, you know
1: <clears throat>
3: uh, yeah. Yeah, the and now the cowboy's
1: gonna write off. He's the cowboy's yeah. going to ride off, and he should have ridden. That's what I said to him. I said he should have ridden off, you know, <laughs> ten years ago. But he stuck around to help out Vince, and uh, now he's going to pay for it, probably physically. Yes. Yep. You know. Um. But yeah, no, I just, I just hope people, you know, when they, when this comes up, if it's even relevant to bring up, you know, I never, I never, you know, I treated everybody. Equally, and I respected everybody, and I hope everybody that wanted an autograph got one, and if they wanted one, I can't figure out why, (laughs) and I hate to be that, I hate to be that modest about it, but I seriously, I mean, I just, that's how I've always kind of run this program, you know? Yep.
3: Hey, I can tell you this. My wife was excited. I was talking to you, so you know that's a big deal. Oh to be, God! Because she doesn't care about anything. I could be, you know, I could be talking to, uh, you know, uh, Macho Man Beyond the Grave or something. She could care less. But I was like, Oh, you remember Joe Millionaire? Said, oh my God! Of course I remember Joe Millionaire. So hey, you know, you are very remembered. That is good. Well, tell your wife thank you very much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay.
1: So wait a minute. Hold on. I got it right here. This guy said, uh, I'm sorry. He said uh, his name is Mike. And it said, Undertaker announces WWE retirement as he has nothing left to accomplish. And I said, he didn't have anything left to accomplish about ten WrestleManias ago. <laughs> <laughs> he stuck yep. around because he's a good guy. Yeah. No telling how much worse he. Excuse me. No telling how much worse he damaged his body by trying to be loyal to this. Not long. I said. Yep. And that's exactly how I feel. I mean, he just, you know, he was just he was nothing but a gentleman to me, and didn't have to be. And um and literally when people talk about him as a as a pretty good guy in wrestling, he was the epitome of it. Absolutely. And I can't, I can't say, And I'm just honored to have met the guy for five minutes. Ten ten minutes up bet we talked for five to ten minutes. Until Stone Cold reared his ugly head and then it was all over. <laughs> it ruined what it. What a man. what a cocksucker, man. I swear really? to god, dude.
3: I've never forgotten that. But, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. Austin was an asshole, but Undertaker was awesome. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Now, as far as you, do you do, like, social media and stuff? I know you, you said you're more reclusive now. You kind of stage up. Do you do a lot of social media and stuff? Like, I, do you have I, plugs, and do you, do like, you know, have people reach out to you, or not I, really? I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. Um,
1: I'm not on Instagram with my own name. I'm in, on Instagram with something else, and it's funny because a lot of people – this is how you know something funky happened in 2003 because I have a lot of people – my name's not on there, but I have a lot of people that message me that go, we know who you are. And I'm like, you do? I don't even respond. But, I mean, they'll, you know, I get all kinds of messages. That people just recognize my face. and That's scary. It's just
4: really
3: scary. Hey, um, big 35 million, 40 million people watching at one point.
1: Yeah. Now, Facebook is my name. So it's just it is what it is. But um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on social media. I've kind of backed off a little bit. Um, Lately, I've ramped it up because because all the political stuff going on and I've got my opinions. But but uh, yeah, I'm on I'm on I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Nice. So and let me ask you a question. Did you Mm -hmm. did you did you friend me on Facebook?
3: Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to remember if I did or not.
1: Because somebody friended me and then I and I deleted it and I went back to Rick and I went Rick, I think I just deleted John, and I'm not sure. And he goes and I couldn't rem- I couldn't place the last name. And I said what's his last name? And he, goes, he told me. And I said I can't remember if that was him or not. So if, if so if you if you didn't get <laughs> if you didn't get if you didn't get a
3: a a a, a,
1: rec- or a uh, an acceptance or whatever it wasn't I just didn't
3: know who it was. I will uh, attempt to do it again for sure. Okay. Now uh, you weren't Steve Austin big time than me, were you? No, no, no. I wasn't Steve Austin. Yeah, I <laughs> no, I'm but kidding. I did, I'm I'm kidding. I, I, but
1: I do look at these and I go. I just I will look at them pretty clearly and go. Is this somebody that's you know who is this you know? And I and I and I deleted it. I had gone down a bunch of, and I just went delete 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 delete. And I got to a John someone. I went delete and I went oh, oh shit. And I caught it and that's when I called Rick. I called Rick and I'm like, Rick, I think i think I to need a request from John but I'm not quite sure. And I deleted Rick purposely because I had people and I thought I did. I'm not real social media savvy. I thought I had people going through Rick to find me on social media and I was getting some weird messages after the last interview that I did with him. Oh wow! So wow. I deleted him out temporarily and I got to actually get a hold of him and go, hey man, I'm gonna refriend you. Friend me back. I just had to do a little hiatus there,
3: but so yeah. I got you. Hey, you will like if if you see, you will like my cover picture. It's uh, me with uh, cornet, the Midnight Express, and the Rock and Roll Express. So you'll like that. Oh, are you kidding? The best, the best, one of the best, you know, rivalries ever. Yeah, I actually ever. I, I did a convention in not too far away from you in Richmond, Virginia, that we do, um, yeah. every year since 2000, well, obviously not this year, but every year since 2017 and I had Cornette and the Midnight and the rock and roll were the, were the big guests from, uh, from the, the last time we did it. So that was really awesome. And to be able to I do it, it, it in Richmond, obviously where, where those guys were huge, it was pretty damn cool. I love it.
1: In fact, and you might agree with me on this. Um, like when the the, the the Midnight and the Rock and Roll was like like one of the best tag team rivalries ever, but I really think that the Midnight and Tully and Arn before they nixed it. And what year was that? Was it ninety eighty eighty eight? Was it eighty eight? Yep, or eighty nine? Yep, eighty eight going into eighty nine. Yep, and uh, that would have been unreal. That would have been unreal when Tully just went to him and said, we're out of here because he didn't like to pay. <clears throat> I mean, that's, I mean, that's, no, or, no, or, or Tully said something, to Turner. Well, you'd know more about this than I would. Tully had said something to Turner when they were interviewing him, when, when Turner was going to take over at NWA. Mm-hmm. And I guess he said something that got back to Dusty and Dusty said, all right, we're going to start fucking
3: you. And that's when Tully said, I'm out of here. Is that how that went down? Basically, they ended up going to WWF for supposedly was going to be for more money because they didn't like their Turner deal. But right. actually, uh, Arn and Tully said that they somehow got paid more by the NWA than they did WWF, even though WWF was more popular at that point. So Vince kind of worked them a little bit, saying they were going to get paid more, but they didn't in actuality get paid more.
1: Right, so I I heard that in an interview that they did because Arn had
3: said, he goes, you know, we
1: went to Vince and we said, uh, you know, we said, hey, you know, when we we penciled this out, you know, we made more with with Crockett than we have here, and they were waiting for him to come back. And I think they asked for fifty grand. Am I wrong on that? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Fifty grand, and Vince said, well, I can't just write the fifty thousand dollar check, you know. And they're like, all right, well then we're out of here, you know. Yep. Yeah. And, and they caught Tully with with the, with, the, with the cocaine, yeah. and then Arnold ended yep. up saying, I got the best payoffs I ever got without Tully. Yeah, and it was yeah. and it was basically Vince saying I could do this whenever I fucking want.
3: Yep. Yeah, he kind of being a dick to them, basically saying I, I could have yeah. given you more money this whole time and I yeah. decided not to on purpose. Yep. So, Which obviously is not not going to leave a good taste in, uh, in, any, in anyone's time. mouth. Yep. And I'm sure Telly wasn't the only guy that could have been, you know what I mean? Like yeah, get caught right. with uh, drugs at that point. So they definitely screwed him on purpose. Right. Right.
1: Right. Wow. Well, God, man. Now that I know that your wife was excited for me to be on, I really hope I didn't disappoint her with talking about <laughs> talking about DDP and fucking <laughs> and Tully Blanchard. And God, uh, she's probably going. God, I had such high hopes. <laughs> yeah, like,
3: like, yeah. I know Rick Flair's, but these other guys.
1: Come on. <laughs> she's like, God. I thought this was going to be a really good interview. We ended up talking about Rick
3: Flair and blackheads,
4: <laughs> and popping <and> kids.
3: <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Hey, oh. awesome stuff though. Appreciate all the time today too. I mean, I could talk to you forever with that awesome stuff. I uh, I love that you're such an old-school NBA fan. Awesome stuff. Oh no, dude. I, I thanks. Thanks for taking such an interest in me, dude. I mean, that's
1: that's uh, that's pretty cool, man. I don't uh, I don't get to spout off much, and it keeps bottled up for for years on end. So it's always good to let it out of
3: me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> hell yeah. I'm lucky to be the the recipient. Though. Thank you. Appreciate that. No worries, man.
1: No worries.
3: All right, Mister Joe Millionaire, aka Bob Billionaire. Thank you uh, so much. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you gotta have swear to God, you gotta have her on again, and, Just and, and, to say and, that. And okay. Tell her and tell her, say, "Hey, we had Bob Billionaire on a while back. She will, she'll literally piss her pants. She'll piss her pants. We've, I've, I've, I remember where I was." When I was I was well I was in Venice I was in the, I was in Ed Connor's house because I lived there he was he moved out I lived there for a year I had the whole house to myself around the beach and it was right after this happened and we were on the phone and I we were laughing so hard about that I literally I had a stomach ache hmm. I had a stomach my stomach hurt we were laughing so hard about that incident so she's a great gal Deborah is a special special person
3: oh absolutely. Awesome stuff. Evan, appreciate all the time tonight. Awesome interview. Very rare and awesome interview. Like I said, Bob Billion, a.k.a. Joe Millionaire. Yeah. Huge reality show. Probably one of the greatest reality shows. Maybe you and uh, the Joe Schmoe show definitely would probably be uh, one and two in my book. But uh, Schmo was in there. Schmo was in there. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: uh, And the the biggest disappointment to your wife's uh, expectations.
3: (laughs) You've got to throw that in. Yeah. And my wife is going to be really disappointed. Like, wow, you ruined it talking about stupid wrestling. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Evan. I uh, appreciate all the time. This is awesome stuff. And uh, I will definitely, I'll be in touch.
0: Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What
2: the world is downloading.